0: When I was going to be his partner, I went and got some earlier versions of the Dirty Harry. In fact, the first two, I think, that, that originally came out to see what the partners were going to be like. And when I saw the kind of role that the partner played, I said, okay, yeah, this will work. I, I, you know, I can do this. And then I remember seeing, um, during that time, I also remember I, I went and saw Bullet again. Steve McQueen's film, you know, and uh, where, you know, there was a partner in that film. I thought, okay, well, I kind of have an idea of how to play a partner. When I got the script, again, I was really surprised because it was pretty obvious that they were writing a character that really hadn't been seen a lot, you know, in in Dirty uh, Harry films before. And um, so I just, you know, I went with the script, basically, and the way that Clint wanted to play it is that this guy just, you know, he knew about Dirty Harry, and he was really scared of dying, and he didn't mind showing it.
1: film fans welcome to another exciting episode of not a bomb podcast this is the show where we go back and revisit a lot of films that bombed in the theaters or the critics just tore up and threw away i'm your host troy and with me is my co-host brad oh shoot i'm sorry brad it's it's johnny squares that's what you're going by now
2: Johnny squares. Now, Hey, you nailed that intro on the first try, buddy. Good job. Uh, thanks.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, Johnny squares. I'm I, uh, so do I have to call you that the rest of the show now? Squares is fine. Squares is fine. Okay. Well, yep. We
2: That's Mr.
1: Mr. Squares to you, excuse me, Mr. Squares.
2: Uh, Ooh, you know, what would be like, I could see Tarantino doing like all of his hitmen are now shapes instead of colors. So I would be Mr. Square.
1: What would uh, I be triangle?
2: You'd be Mr. Triangle, of course. Okay,
1: I saw Sileser Equilateral. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> ah, see, math jokes. Mm. Wow, off to a great start. But listen, um, we have a special guest tonight. Back for another round, I'm so excited for this, it is none other than Sammy Swan, I think is what he's going by now. Mr. Uh, Circle. Mr. Circle from The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Sammy, welcome back. I'm so excited to have you.
0: It is so good to be back. Let me tell you. I've been, I've, honestly, I've been waiting to come back. I've been like chomping at the bit. Wow.
1: We, we've been excited. I mean, we, I'll say this. My favorite thing um, about this podcast is just all the exchanges and being able to sit down and talk films. And we, I, we have so many great guests that show up. I mean, uh, just having Jose give us an entire history of Hong Kong cinema for the Jackie Chan episode. John is always fantastic. Nathan, Josh, um, Eric from you know VHS files. We we have so many fantastic participants. And Sammy, I'm so happy that you can come back to talk about tonight's film because when I picked this, you were the first person I immediately thought of. And and we'll get into why because yeah. your podcast and specifically you and Will introduced me to a whole genre of film that I think plays into the movie that we're going to talk about tonight. So, Brad, what movie are we talking about tonight?
2: We are talking about 1988's uh, fifth and final entry of the Dirty Harry series, The Deadpool,
1: starring Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. And I know what everybody's thinking. What is wrong with you guys? You're talking about a Dirty Harry franchise in the wake of all of the publicity that's going on. With um, certain police officers, et cetera. Uh, I want to put a full disclaimer out there. I, I think it'll make sense once we have the conversation and we talk about this franchise. Um, full disclosure, too. I mean, we're not going to get very political. We never do. I mean, we might gloss over a few things. And we'll talk about the history of this franchise, but um, you won't hear any of us um, going to the left or right uh, in some rabbit hole talking about this. It's, it's just a movie. It's just a movie. So, But before we get into this franchise, and specifically the Deadpool, I thought it would be fun because I know all three of us are big Clint Eastwood fans. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes.
2: I'm going to say you two are probably bigger Eastwood fans than I am.
1: Okay, that's fair. I, I, I don't know about you, Sammy. I've kind of grown up on these films simply because they were one of my favorites of my parents.
0: So, so that therein might lie the difference, right? I mean, we're older than Brad, not to champion that or anything, because
2: okay, I I mean, I I'm a puppy.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they, they, they tend to make a little bit more sense, I think, for our generation, uh, certainly. Uh, my mom and dad did love them as well. Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah. And that's fair. I mean, I know him as an actor and watched him transition to a director and have experienced, you know, I guess that in the real world, going to the theaters and all of a sudden discovering that, you know, he's the guy behind the camera as much as he's in front of the camera, which is super interesting. But let's talk about our favorite Clint Eastwood movies real quick. And I don't know how you guys picked it because it's very easy to, you know, just talk about the ones that he starred in. Or the ones that he directed or both. And I don't know how you came to the three. And, and full disclosure for me, it changed every day. So when <laughs> I'm going through his filmography, I could not decide. And finally I had to just walk away from it and go, this is I'm locking it into this and this is what it is. And I just went to the movies that he starred in. So if he directed it, great. But I tried to stay away from movies that he directed and just tried to find the ones. What were my three favorite ones that he, you know, just kind of did from an actor perspective? Um, I, did you guys have a different uh, take on this? Or
2: my my deal was is he had to be in the movie, and if he directed it, fine. Or you know, because there are movies. Yeah, like that Richard Jewell movie. He's not in that, but he directed that. So yeah, there right. are movies where he. Directs that does not start. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But no, he had to be in front of the camera on my picks.
0: Yeah. Okay. Not more more nowadays, he directs and doesn't get in front of the camera. Of course, he's in his 90s now. He doesn't get in front of the camera as much as he used to. um, I went the route of, uh, so I threw a bit of a curveball and I'm throwing a bit of curveball at you guys. I went the route of director, but maybe more underseen. Oh, okay. Three favorites.
1: No, that's, that's perfect. I, that's yeah, what I love about this. You you can look at his filmography and kind of dice this any way you want,
0: but he is in everything that I picked. So,
1: okay, well, we're going to start with you, Sammy, since you're our guest and I'm, re- I'm, I'm just hoping I have, I have a, I have an assumption that all three of our picks are going to be extremely different. So what, probably what are you going to start with?
0: Um. So, you know, when you hit me up about this, I mean, obviously as an actor, I, you know, you know me. I got a big mouth, so I got to talk a little bit here, <laughs> and I'm a podcaster, so I gotta, I gotta preface everything I say here. That's perfect. Disclaimers and all that good stuff. The FBI warning. Um, Would you steal a car, <laughs> Sammy? <no. laughs> I steal a car, <laughs> but um, I saw. I thought about it, and I thought, well, you know, for me, you know, Clint Eastwood. I mean, he's synonymous with the Western, and obviously, if I was going to pick three favorites as an actor right off the bat. I mean, it's it's hard to go wrong with the dollar stuff. So, that I, I pretty much wiped that out because that's not really fair. The, that stuff is so influential. It's just – and to me, it's more about Sergio Leone there than it is about Clint Eastwood anyway. Okay. So, I wiped that off the board. And then I thought to myself, well, I'll do his westerns. And I, I do have one uh, – well, I do have westerns in here, uh, these three. I have to. Because there's one that I just – I Anyway, I'll just just start. How about that? How about I just start? (laughs) Number three, uh, for me, is one that I thought thought was really good. I think it's underseen. I've actually tried to get it on our show, but it doesn't really fit our motif that much. So I kind of have to wait until it's something that can bounce off of another selection somebody makes. But it's 1993's A Perfect World. Ooh, with Kevin Costner. With, With Kevin Costner. He is in that one. Um, But I really enjoy that movie. Uh, It's dark and there's some really, really tough child abuse stuff in there. (laughs) You you say. (laughs) I mean, there's some moments in there that'll make you cringe uh, big time. But I think it's a very poetic and, and beautiful movie about that kind of moment in your childhood when you start to realize what adults are kind of doing and it, it, it i i think he does a really fine job with that movie uh, he just really and he kind of takes a back seat. he lets costner and the little boy kind of head up the story and everything else but it's really beautiful too it's well shot and uh it may be a tad long but i really champion it because i think a lot of people didn't really check it out because by 93 Costner's starting to get a bad name quote unquote as you know hollywood blockbuster man i think and uh I don't, I don't think the movie made a lot of money. I don't think it did. Actually, didn't it was realize.
2: wildly
1: successful.
0: Was it? No, oh, there you go. over oh, really? $135 million. I went and saw that at the movies.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I did, too. I remember being in college seeing it, and I couldn't get anybody to go with me. So I think that was yeah. one of the ones I saw by myself.
0: Yeah, well, I saw it by myself, too. So somewhere in an, an alternate universe, you and I are sitting in the theater together <laughs> and, and now wondering where all of our friends are. Oh,
1: exactly. <laughs> That's a great pick. I, I love that you're kind of going through some... I don't know, underrated gems, because I I think that's the thing about Clint Eastwood, as you go through the filmography, he's I don't want to say he's all over the place because he deals with a lot of the same similar themes, etc., but some of the casting decisions and the stories and narratives he tries to tell, they're very unique, um, especially in that 80s and 90s period. Mm-hmm. Okay, Brad, what's what's your number three? I'm curious where you're going with this because, like you said, I, I don't think you have the background that maybe Sammy and I have on this one.
2: No, like, I, like I've said before, Westerns were not a big part of my childhood. It was more of the Samurai movie, so I didn't come to Eastwood until I was probably a teenager, um, so <clears throat> my list will be a little different, but I did go with probably his most uh, awarded film. It's... Um, 2004's um, Million Dollar Baby. Ooh, uh, I man. am a huge boxing fan. I've boxed for a long time. You know, I I love watching boxing. Um, I think Hilary Swank was amazing in that movie. Um, you know, it's we we can go back and pick apart Best Picture films to say, well, it really wasn't that great. I think Million Dollar Baby is really good. Um, so I uh, I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Um, it's gut wrenching. <laughs> Just even thinking about it now is like, oh, I might get a little teary eyed.
1: So
0: you'll see a visitor come in here every now and then. As you can see behind me. Sorry, I did no, that's cool.
1: So that's a good pick. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I feel like it's one of those dramatic films that, even though it's kind of tough, especially how it ends, et etc. I really enjoy watching it because I, I really like the chemistry between those two. It, it's a great film.
2: I mean, the cast of that movie is amazing. Yeah, it is. I'll,
0: I'll, I'll tell you this about Million Dollar Baby. I'll give you a, a kind of a behind the scenes here. I did not want to see that at all. Oh, really? I, I, I did not. I, I was like, you know what? He's finally made something I have no. Well, he's finally made something else I have no interest in. I didn't want to see the Bridges <laughs> of Madison County either. <laughs> but I was just like, you know, it's just not for me. You know, uh, I hate to sound. I, I don't mean to sound this way, but I just like, uh, you know, I just I don't buy it. I don't. It just looks tacky, blah blah blah. And then my wife's like, well, "Let's go ahead and watch it."
2: How were those words?
0: Yeah, you, ate uh, when you I, had to eat them. I had to eat a lot of them because <laughs> I, I absolutely love that movie. Like it, it makes me cry. I've only seen it twice because it makes me cry so hard that I okay. can't watch it. <laughs> no,
1: it's 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 that ending's rough. But man, I'm telling you, I like that journey. I do. I, I think it's and a it has, journey.
0: It, of course, obviously now, there's the twist is known. But at the time, because I didn't care about it, this is that wonderful time when I didn't know what the. The twist was as we say on our show i didn't know what the twist was and so I, don't, I won't say it on here either but i'm sure everybody's seen it by now but man i mean my jaw hit the floor yeah i was like oh, that did not just happen well
1: yeah, okay so our lists are going to be entirely different so mine yeah. is so far oh, just in the opposite direction of you guys my number three is probably the film that introduced me to Clint Eastwood or made me pay attention to it. And I remember seeing it in the theaters and loving it. And I remember getting so excited to go see the sequel. And it's none other than 1978's Every Which Way But Loose, where Clint Eastwood plays Philo <laughs> Beto. I mean, oh man, talk about a character name that way. And I, I love it for Ruth Gordon and Manis, who plays Clyde the monkey. Um, this, is, this is what's crazy. What is
2: up with you and monkeys, man? Hey, don't, is, it an
1: orang- no. is it an orangutan or is it a monkey? Don't throw is your science a- around here. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> it is an orangutan, Clyde, yes. Yeah, anyways, um, it had a $5 million budget, and it comes back and makes $85 million in ticket sales in, in 1978. So if you're thinking about it and you adjust that for inflation in 2021, that basically means that that movie – Made two hundred and nine million dollars just domestically, which is ridiculous. But it's one of those films. I mean, he he just he plays a truck driver who's you know doing these you know street fights, and it's and it's really about you know his relationship with the close circle of people and and him trying to kind of find himself. And his best buddy is is uh, Clyde. But that movie is so much fun, and it brings back my entire childhood, you know, going going to yeah. the theater at age six and, and seeing that thing and just loving it. But that yeah. that's one of the few, uh, that one I can just put in, and I'm constantly smiling. But I love that yeah. film.
0: Yeah, I saw that in the theater with my parents as well. Saw both of them, actually.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I remember it being a big deal going to see uh, um, the sequel, and we saw it at the Crest Theater, which was an <laughs> older theater in Wichita, Kansas, that had the balcony, like two balconies or something. It was It was nuts. But, yeah, love that. It's a
2: great movie. Can I I tell you a quick little story about that movie? Yeah. Whatever I I associate with uh, Every Which Way Is Loose is learning what a honky tonk was. Uh, I didn't know, and <laughs> apparently that's a country bar. So
0: yes, yeah, it's a certain kind of country bar. Yeah, I
2: grew up in the, I grew up in the big city, so I didn't yeah. know. What, yeah. yeah,
1: they play uh, both kinds of music, country and western.
0: You, and western. You, yeah, you, you grew up in the same area I grew up in, so I could take you to a honky tonk. But I can't promise you you'll ever be the same.
2: Yeah.
0: you, <laughs> you yes. may not ever. <laughs> be the same if you go <laughs> They got both experience. kinds
2: of beer bud and bud light yes no yeah.
0: bud light are you kidding
1: me no way man yeah. all right uh sammy what's your number two
0: I'm, well I'm, it's, it, yeah. it's interesting uh i love that we're picking stuff so like i said i was gonna i had many lists i had many options uh, oh, you yeah. see you look over to the rights because there's like 15 different lists here <laughs> uh so I'm going I'm going no Westerns here because West, it's just not fair because the Westerns are just so great. Mm-hmm. And, and really you can name any of his Westerns and you could arguably say that they're all uh, good to great. I don't really know, as, as a director and as an actor, I really don't know of anybody who had a better run of Westerns than uh, Clint Eastwood did. So I'm not going to mention those because those are pretty much gold and you can check those out on your own. So I will mention... Another one that I think is underrated, and that is 1982's Honky Tonk Man.
1: Oh, such a good film.
2: I know what that that word means.
0: (laughs) Yeah, to segue into the Honky Tonk thing that uh, Brad brought up. But yeah, Honky Tonk Man is a directorial uh, effort from him, but he also stars in it, and he plays guitar and sings. And I was a little thrown off by that at the beginning. Uh, as well as when I got a little older and I realized that he was actually a musician, an accomplished musician himself, so it just doesn't seem like Clint Eastwood would be a mu- musician, you know? He just doesn't seem like he's, I don't know, it's kind of like, I don't know, watching him jog, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> so, you know, I want to see how many of these films, too, we pick has him jogging in it, so Troy's already one for one, because he jogs and in yeah, He, jog, he knows, jogs so. a
1: lot in that one, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Hey, wasn't there a wrestler called the Honky Tonk Man? I remember yeah, that. There was. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, I met that guy. He was
2: more of like an Elvis impersonator from what I remember. Okay.
0: Yeah, this I... is this is more of a kind of a Hank Williams senior sort of type of performance. This is more of a downtrodden uh terminally ill uh man who's trying to come to terms with uh making it in the opera or making it in general and his son and it's it's really an emotional ride. It's a very good movie. If you like Million Dollar Baby, I highly recommend it. check out honky-tonk man
1: yeah i I would say if you like movies about music it's up there too i I it's great it's it's great it's really 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 good good. yeah all right brad this is crazy i don't know where we're going on any of these so brad what's your number two
2: sammy took out the westerns but i I can't so i will do which i think is the second greatest western of all time the good the bad and the ugly which um is the third and final installment of the Dollars Trilogy. I don't know. I, I was looking at my list. I'm like, what am I going to say about the good and bad and the ugly? Uh, it's brilliant. And if you haven't seen it, I am not a huge Western fan. And even I appreciate this movie for all that it is. So uh, do yourself a favor. Watch that. There's one better, though, and we will get to it.
1: Okay. Well, since oh, wow. since you picked that, that was actually my number one pick. So I'm going to move it up and talk about it. I, I'm with you. I, I could not pick. I, I couldn't talk about, you know, say, well, we're going to do Clint Eastwood's and I'm not going to do the Western. So the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's one of those films when I discovered it, I, I didn't see it in the theaters, obviously, when, when it originally came out and you discovered it on TV. And I got to tell you, it doesn't matter how big your TV is. It does not do the film justice until you go and see it in the theaters. And it is a long film. It is an epic film. But, it, oh, my God, it's so good. It's so iconic. And I can't imagine anybody in the VHS days or or whatnot, you know, when when all the films were just in a 4-3 ratio and you're watching it from, like, a square perspective. I mean, can you imagine watching, like, the last 20 minutes on VHS and it's cropped on the sides? I, that would oh. be the most painful thing ever. But um, I, I'm with you, Brad. I mean, if, if I were picking – and to me, it's my favorite of uh, the Clint Eastwood westerns, and it's probably top three western of all time in my opinion because I I absolutely adore that film. So,
2: and I've always had that. I've kind of come back and appreciated it more because of Tarantino. I'm not going to lie, his love for Leone is, you know, it's it's up there. So it's like, oh yeah, if he can like it, then I can like it too. So
1: yeah, and it's and it's one of the ones um, being out here in the Baltimore area. I know the AFI um, shows it every once in a while. I cannot wait to see that in in the theater on a big screen. I've I've only seen it just yeah. you know a, on a nice clean Blu Ray print or or DVD print, but I'm dying for a theatrical experience on that one.
0: Do you guys ever watch that documentary about the guys who rebuild the cemetery, the circular, the standoff spot? Oh, the standoff. Oh, yeah. I have not. No, not at all. Well, it was on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on there, and I can't remember the title of it to save my life right now. But I'll try to look for it while we're talking. That's to-
2: a very niche like. Yeah. Documentary, so I'm sure you could find it. But it's very emotional.
0: It's very, you really get, these guys really love this movie and they go through all this trouble to find this location and uh, basically re- reconstruct it. That's amazing. So,
1: yeah. I, I definitely and I, check that out.
0: I, I can't say anything else about those movies. The Dollars movies are, uh, I mean, we reviewed them a long time ago on our show, so you can listen to us talk about them there, but I mean, they're they're game changers. I oh, mean, absolutely,
1: yeah. And it got my son into Westerns, which is, I, yeah. I would sit down and watch a, a film, and and if it was a Western, I don't think he was that interest, interested. But as soon as he saw you know the Clint Eastwood and the whole Man with No Name trilogy, he was just instantly hooked, and he loves those films. And yeah. I think that was his gateway into samurai films as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense.
1: All right, Sammy, you got one left. I can't, oh, man, I couldn't mm-hmm. even begin to guess where you're going through number one. I can't wait.
0: So, yeah, so it, it's not easy, believe it or not. I mean, my favorite Eastwood film that I mean, again, I got to get this stuff out there because I'm a talker, but my favorite Eastwood film is that he's ever directed was Unforgiven. I just think, you know, that's great. And, oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, but that, that would have been too easy for me. So I, 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 I kind of, again, I turned away from it and just kind of tried to go a different path. And so I was thinking about it as a director and I wanted to stay away from the Westerns. I wanted to stay away from all that stuff. And I was like, what else has Eastwood done that really is so far out of left field uh, that it just isn't normal that you would think of something he would do? And it's actually his directorial debut. 1971's Play Misty for Me. Which I think is a wonderful thriller and a great movie. Um, And it's totally something you would not expect from him. It's amazing. Uh, He really, he plays a bit of a, scumbag in it which always i've always liked about eastwood is he never really kind of puts himself above his his material like you know he could easily be the hero and everything he does but sometimes he's a scumbag oh yeah <laughs> and i like that you know uh i know he doesn't he didn't direct uh tightrope but uh there's arguments that he did direct most of it which we'll talk about when we talk about this movie a little bit because buddy van horn worked with Eastwood quite a bit there's always been arguments that Buddy Van Horn was just a, <laughs> a uh, another yeah a guy that helped Eastwood Told that did, did all the work so Eastwood could chill out a little bit Yep.
2: if the film was directed in and, and Principal was done in less than two months Clint Eastwood probably directed it so
0: <laughs> but I love Play Misty for me we did it on the show a long time ago it's not the normal Clint Eastwood movie and I think that's what I like so much about it it's it's just completely different and it's a hell it's a hell of a thriller I mean it really is and it's a It's a great look at uh, kind of a stalker lifestyle, and uh, it's a very sexy movie, which is also something that, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's some listeners, male and female, who find Clint Eastwood sexy. I don't. Well,
1: uh, I think he's cool. <laughs> in the '70s, I guarantee he was like the Henry Cavill of the '70s. Because my mom told me a story that when she, when I think he was doing the Rawhide television show, she was a waitress and Clint Eastwood came in, and I can't remember what town it was, and she just fell in love with him instantly and said yeah. he was just amazing in person. So I'm I'm sure yeah. that Clint Eastwood was a boxer dropper in the '70s for everybody.
0: <laughs> well, he was striking. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And the camera loved him. So I'm, and I'm, you know, he was good looking at some point, but I just, he never really struck me as that. It seems like every time he would act or do something like he wasn't afraid to put a scar on his face or gross, a little bit of facial hair or have the cigarello hanging out. It just seemed like he was, uh, you know, just, he was fine being Clint Eastwood, but in this one, he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a stud (laughs) and, uh, it's a little different. Yeah. It's
1: it's a good film. Have you seen that Brad? I have not. Oh, you got. You have to check it out. I I okay. really think you'll like it. Big time. Okay, yeah, I think you will too. All right, Brad. Number one. I don't have a drum roll, but um, what, what's your what's your number hey one? Hey guys,
2: have you heard of this movie that stars Morgan Freeman, Gene Hackman, Richard yeah. Harris, and Clint Eastwood?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that Unforgiven. Which, oh, I was gonna say yeah. any which way you can, but no. Oh, that sounds. It sounds uh-huh. really good. It has a good cast.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is technically a revisionist western, which uh. Normal Westerns usually follow good guys. This one kind of inverts it, um, follows the outlaws. And um, one of, I think, one of three Westerns to ever win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Um, I know, do they consider Dances with Wolves a Western? I'm assuming that is. They do. Yeah. That's got to be one. And I don't know what the other one is. But anyway, uh, I'm forgiven. It, Best Western I think I've ever seen. I like it more because I think it's a little bit more modern, which kind of appeals to me a little bit more. Um, you know, the the Dollars Trilogy is older, um, which I appreciate, but this one seems to age a little bit better. So that's why it kind of edges out for me. So,
0: Well, that one's also a commentary in a lot of ways on the Dollars Trilogy.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, the the most amazing thing, yeah, the most amazing thing about the Unforgiven film is, and I, I agree. I still think it's Clint Eastwood's greatest film. I, I, I that's why I didn't put it on here, but I, I do think it is his greatest achievement because he is dealing with everything that he's kind of created a career. He's created a career out of, and it's amazing. It's an amazing. Uh, it's an amazing piece of work.
1: Well, I don't think it's his greatest achievement. I still think his work with uh, Manus, a.k.a. Clyde, in 1978's Every Which Way But Loose is his greatest work. And I'm not oh, saying it it's been downhill from 78. I'm just saying yeah. he peaked does, in 78 yeah. uh, <laughs> with the Philo Beto. Um, so, my number one, I, I, I'm an action junkie. I, I love action films. You, you don't say? I do. And the thing that I, I would say, you know, back when this film came out, and we're talking in the nineties, this Clint Eastwood would have not been your go-to person for an action film. And what I really like, I mean, you know, your twenty and thirty year olds and et cetera, who do all these action sequences and, you know, put on put out these, you know, just okay, moderate, exciting films. I really like it when they go to an older generation. And they kind of bring a human element to it. And I got to say, one of the best thrillers Eastwood has done, and this would be my number two pick, uh, but since you know we talked about my number one already, this film, I remember seeing it in the theater and it blew me away and was so ready to go back and watch it because I thought it was a great action film. It was a great thriller. I love Eastwood's performance. I love the cat and mouse aspect of this thing. But it's none other than 1993's In the Line of Fire. I absolutely adore that film, and it's yeah. it's one that I don't care if any edition of that thing comes out. You know, they got a 4K coming out. I'm gonna buy it. i, I bought that thing. I don't know how many times, and I <laughs> I just it's it's an addiction. I know, but I really I love the pacing of it. I think it's a near perfect film because I can't think. Every time I watch it, I can't think of any spot where it drags. It is constantly keeping you guessing, and you are just waiting for, you know, the the point when him and John Malkovich are are actually going to meet and have that confrontation, and it just builds up to it. Um, but I, I absolutely love that film. I think it's one of the best action films to come out in the nineties. Wolfgang Peterson, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. So good, so good. Well, I
0: that's, is it Wolfgang Peterson's best film?
1: That's <laughs> ooh. I, I would say it is. I mean out of all out of all his, I, I it's the one I go so when you say best film, I think some people will say like Unforgiven, I think is probably Eastwood's be- best directorial film, but I would say that's because I go back and watch it all the time. Um and, Air Force One can we say Air Force One? No, we can't. We
0: we can't. <laughs> we could say never ending story, I'll say that. But, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, uh, you could say that.
2: <laughs>
1: that's like
0: going out there.
2: Didn't Wolfgang Peterson do Troy? Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. He did that movie about uh, your co host. Yeah. yeah. He did that. It was epic it was storytelling. Good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, those uh, glistening buttocks. Remember I did. that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's a I lot do. of oil
1: for that. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, hey, th- th- those are great picks. I'm glad that we only kind of, Brad and I just, you know, had one match, but that, that's a great right. pick, Sammy. I mean, yeah.
0: Well, I don't think, I think with somebody like Eastwood, I mean, you guys talked about Jackie Chan a few weeks back. There are certain actors who are as important to cinema as they are to anything. I mean, and and Eastwood, I think is, I think he's one of those top 10 guys. Honestly, I do.
2: I mean, how many guys can say they ushered in a genre?
1: Absolutely. A couple of times. Or re or reinvented the genre or brought yeah, it back yeah. to life. I mean, this it seems like Eastwood has a really good, I, I don't know, eye for material and even timing to a certain extent. So it, the influence of a movie isn't just about the material sometimes, but it's also when it's released, which is a good segue to the franchise that we're going to talk about, which is the Dirty Harry films. So as I said before, I mean, we're... We're not going to try and get too political, but I I do think it's important when we talk about um, you know Harry Callahan and the creation of it, we we go back and look at the franchise as it leads to the film that we're talking about tonight. So obviously the podcast is called Not a Bomb. If you haven't figured it out, the one we're going to talk about tonight was the one that kind of did bomb out of the franchise. Um, And Clint Eastwood, especially for Warner Brothers, has made that studio a ton of money. And when you go back and look at Dirty Harry – And you look at that film when it first came out in 1971, there's a couple of things you got to keep in mind. So there were a few things going on in, in our country at that point. Um, The first thing to talk about is on June 13th in 1966, the U S Supreme court hands down a decision in Miranda versus Arizona. And so that's establishing the principle that all criminal suspects must be advised of their rights before interrogation. Now, As long as we've been alive, that's just been how it works. But in the late 60s, that was a kind of a controversial thing um, when you start talking about criminal rights, especially uh, what's going on in the country in terms of the amount of violence and then also the highly publicized violence. And there's two other things that kind of hit big that play into Warner Brothers and Eastwood's decision to do this film. One of those, and we've talked about this early on in the episode when we talked about um, Fincher's Zodiac, was the Zodiac killer. He hits the scene in 1968 to, I mean, today, technically never been caught. But 1969 could probably be seen as the nice. high, highlight. In, <laughs> you, you had to go there, huh, Brad? Okay, 1969 it's probably the highlight in press coverage over the crimes because you've got this um, Zodiac killer interacting with the newspaper. It's on the front page all the time. And especially, you know, California, that area and heck the country, we're we're really just glued to watching these events, you know, unfold. And the other thing that happened also in 1969 was the attack on residents at Sharon's Tate um, and what happened there. And of course, in July, 1970,
2: yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio stopped him. Yes. Yeah. Well,
1: no, 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 that's, well, Brad that was did. not a documentary, Brad. I thought we talked Wait. about this. No, that's not how it happened. Wait a minute. No, I know. We'll, are we, we'll spend some time after the show and we'll go through this again. I've, I've got a whole presentation for you. Sharon Tate died. Sharon Tate did die in real life, Brad. I'm sorry. Um, but
2: 1970. How did Michael Jackson feel about that? What? <laughs>
1: see Uh, yeah 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 okay so (laughs) we're not going political but dude you're coming with these horrible jokes but anyways um july 1970 the charles manson trial is under you know it again it's hitting the press and everybody's paying attention to that so you got three things that are top of mind for all of america as they're watching the news and what's going on you've got miranda which was sort of a big deal. You've got the Zodiac killer and you got um, what happens to Sharon Tate and her friends on that horrible night. And then also the publicity that Charles Manson is generating from his trials. So what happens is there's a couple of films that come out in 71 and dirty Harry comes out about the same time, same year as the French connection. And what happens is that these two films were sort of twin mothers of a new subgenre called the the cop subgenre. And it's a it's a genre that kind of spills over into the 80s as well. Isn't it more of like the super cop genre? It is. It's it's sort of the cops going outside of the regular police procedural to kind of combat crime because crime was so rampant. So if you're thinking about it from the American public the American public perspective, you've got 69 to 70 crimes on the rise. All these things are hitting the newspaper And there really is just this fear that the system is breaking down and it can't handle this. And so, hence, you get Dirty Harry and you get the French connection. I mean, later on down the road, I think it's 74, Death Wish comes out. So you get the vigilante, you know, uh, kind of being thrown in there as well. But this wasn't just to the U.S. And this is where I'm going to tie into a comment I made earlier uh, Sammy, I, I had no idea about uh, this same kind of thing happening over in Italy, which was late sixties and most of the seventies. And it's um, Italy had the same kind of genre going on with the polizai or polizichai, polizia, polizia. Okay, polizia. yeah, <laughs> you can
0: call um, it polizia. You can call it that. Yeah.
1: yeah. So what was happening over in Italy is you know their government's kind of breaking down. There's so much corruption going on, and people are looking at this and saying, okay. Um, there, there's another cop genre that's coming out because of political turmoil and what's going on with that society about the same time that's happening in the U S. So, um, it, it's crazy. And again, I, I did not know anything about that genre until I started listening to the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema and Sammy, you and will, you've covered a lot of those films. And I don't, I don't know if you want to give a little background on, on that subgenre. I hate to put you on the spot, but you guys did. such
0: no, I mean I can talk about it a little bit. I mean, yeah. essentially, for any of your listeners who has have not ventured into that world, uh, they may have seen uh, one or two and not even realize they've seen one or two. But um, it's essentially Dirty Harry, kind of on steroids in a way. It's it's um, it's taken it one step further. It's almost like it's it's kind of weird to say this, but I've always kind of made it. It's kind of akin to the cop as a slasher, almost in a weird way, uh, where cops will use any means necessary to get the uh, young punks uh, back in line. And uh, there's no way to explain the genre except uh, if you like car chases, you like violence, uh, you like uh, a lot of other terrible things. I was getting to say if you like rape, but I mean, Hey, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you know, not to say that that's a thing, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, you you did bring up death wish, so you did breach the topic. So, uh, it, Italy just took it and ran with it as Italy does, uh, as they always did, they would just take stuff and some would say, rip it off. And I would say they gave it a lot of flavor. They would uh, take a genre that we would tend to have over here. That would be a box office hit and just kind of give it their own little spin and they would go crazy with it. And they'd make as many of these things as they possibly could. Uh, they put great faces in front of the camera, Henry Silva, Charles Bronson, um Maurizio Merli, uh, so many people I, I can't even name them all Thomas Melian there's so many actors that were in, that have been in Eurocrime films and um, they just I mean they just ran with it and it's a genre that I think pound for pound is one of the most entertaining that you can ever watch because it's just pure craziness. Right from the get go, I, I agree uh, with you.
1: I, I I remember listening intently to a lot of episodes and sitting down and writing, you know, movie title after movie title, yeah. and going out and searching them out. And it was just a, an eye opener, right? But like you said, it is the equivalent of taking the Dirty Harry film, giving it some steroids, and then just saying, "Go do whatever the heck you want." And there's there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes in it.
0: Yeah, but for yeah, I mean, political correctness was not something that Italy was interested in.
1: Well, and yeah, absolutely, and and you got to look at what was going on with Italy and with these films like Dirty Harry, French Connection, Death Wish, and anything that was coming out in the seventies, the, you know, in the eighties, Exterminator. Um,
0: well, I mean, culturally, as a culture, we tend to we we go through phases, right? We go through phases where we root for the good guy, and we go through phases where, in our entertainment, we kind of root for the bad guy. Um, maybe not the bad guy, but certainly the gray guy. Yes, um, well, the anti-hero, the right? anti-hero. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Hollywood, you know, the thing I always have to remind myself, Hollywood isn't necessarily a trendsetter, but it's really trying to make money off of the trends. So yeah. in the late sixties to seventies, you've got this unrest that's going on. And so if they can make a buck by providing some type of cathartic release for the general public and And it did make a lot of money. Those films won a lot of awards and a lot of money. Hollywood's going to chase it down. But the thing about Dirty Harry is it still came under fire, even from the get-go. So Dirty Harry generated a lot of controversy in just how far police would go or should go. And even somebody, and probably the most famous one, was Pauline Kael. So she was a critic for The New Yorker. She specifically referred to Dirty Harry as a fascist. And you saw a lot of people sort of take that side with this franchise. And, and even some of its champions like Roger Ebert would come out and say it, it's a very interesting, it's a very thrilling type police procedural um, or action film. But it's <laughs> morally you really can't get behind the message. And so that's where a lot of critics uh, found themselves is either condemning it for sort of its, its fascism that it portrayed. And that was the same with the Polizia films that were in Italy um, but but it's it's just an incredibly interesting genre, and so there are a total of five films. It started in 1971 with Dirty Harry, which really is a I don't know what you call it a fantasy of of how you know San Francisco police would have caught the Zodiac killer. But in this film, it's called Scorpio. Yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> and it
1: it's I, I big mean, stretch there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but for for a 71. Film. I mean, you you can't deny the impact that it had on American film from the get go, and especially to come out the same year as The French Connection. I mean, that that pretty much started uh, this whole action cop genre. Yeah, um,
0: it was almost it was almost pornographic. It was uh, yeah, such a hard hitter.
1: It was, and then a couple of years later, they followed up with Magnum Force, and now you get a group of vigilante cops who are out there killing bad guys. So it's taking that, that dirty Harry concept and going to the extreme yeah. and Harry won't join them and has to take out the bad cops. So it's a little bit of a twist on that. And and what I find interesting about this entire series is as we talk about each one of these, before we you know discuss the film we're talking about tonight, each one mm-hmm. has a very specific theme and, and you can see it's trying to tap in. And I, I would actually say sort of capitalize on some of the headlines that are out there. So in 73, You've got corrupt cops, and it's saying, okay, well, Dirty Harry's going to take him down. Then in 76, three years later, you get the enforcer, and here it's Harry versus the People's Revolutionary Strike Force. So it's this radical group who ends up kidnapping the mayor, and the other big thing for the time is Harry is paired with a female cop, and that was just like, wow, a female cop with Dirty Harry, again, 76, that's a big deal.
0: Can't remember, it was either Cagney or Lacey. I just don't remember which one off the top of my head. Uh, I can't remember either. <laughs> um,
1: and, and then in '83, so you know, we go a few more years, we get Sudden Impact. This is the only Dirty Harry film directed by Clint Eastwood. Um, this also stars Sandra Locke, who's in a lot of Eastwood films during this time period. That was his main squeeze there for a little bit, his real life flame. Oh, yeah. And we get in this one. The the whole story is about a rape victim who is targeting the group that raped her and her sister. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's picking a pretty controversial topic, talking about vigilantism, and uh, it, it just super interesting. And then we get to the Deadpool in nineteen eighty eight. But I gotta ask you guys: I mean, what do you think about this franchise as a whole? Before we talk specifically about this film, are, are have you seen all the movies? Are you fans of them? I mean, what's your what's your general consensus on this this Eastwood character?
2: I've seen them all now. Um, and I had seen parts of this movie before Um, we'll get to it when we start talking about it, but you know, I, I'm okay with it. Like I could take it or leave it. It's not my favorite series. I don't think dirty Harry is necessarily the most enjoyable character to watch. Um, (laughs) Clint Eastwood himself kind of carries a lot of the weight. Um, Uh And I, I think the movies rely on him, which is obviously pretty smart. Um, but I, I could take these or leave it really, to be honest with you. Okay. What were you there's a whole.
0: Well, I mean, there's a whole genre of these, not just dirty hair. I mean, the, this, these middle age. So Hollywood's kind of going through this now or was with these 50 to 60 year old action heroes. And they were going through that in the seventies as well. So again, here comes that cyclical thing again. Right. So, yeah. you know, Bronson is big in the 70s. He doesn't really reach superstardom till he's in his 50s. Uh, Eastwood was already a star, but he's well into his 40s when he's making these movies, I think. I think by the time he's dirty here, I think he might have been he might have been 40 something maybe. I believe he was. These these are, you know, grizzled. These are roles that are as much about showing up and having the right face and having a gun. <laughs> As they are about actual acting. But what I think I like about the Dirty Harry movies compared to a lot of those other kind of vigilante cop or, or films like that. And I think Fridge Connection is the closest you can come to kind of comparing the two. Is that, although I think Fridge Connection goes deeper with this, with kind of like a personal life. Because Papa Doyle, he's kind of mad at everybody. Right. But Harry hates everybody. That's the the kind of, in the first film, it's it's all about Harry's an equal opportunity elitist, essentially. Some would say racist, um, whatever. He's a he's a cop who hates anybody doing anything wrong is what he is, including getting ketchup on his shirt or his pants. <laughs> That's right. Uh, he gets yeah. very upset about that. Uh, but, you know, he's just trying to have a hot dog. In fairness to him, man, you won't yeah. be bothered when you're trying to eat a dog. Uh, I think it was important that these movies kind of reflect So, this gets into that area that I talk about on our show a lot. I I think film is a great way to have a cathartic, a carthartic, I almost said a cathartic experience and educate people by what some might perceive as championing that same behavior. In other words, what Dirty Harry showed me, and I think what showed most of America. And this is what Italy didn't do right, but they did this to the entertaining. They did. They went more for the entertainment dollar, is it kind of showed folks that, you know, there are there are some bad cops out there. There are some bad things. Maybe we should stop and look at this. Maybe we should. Maybe we should have a dialogue. Maybe we should have a talk. And I think that's what movies and entertainment and media do in general. I think they 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 should have us having those conversations. Um, but they should also just be entertainment. They should also just be, you know, turn your. Take your problems, leave them outside, come in, enjoy this cop who's taken the law into his own hands. And, you know, one other thing you you, you you haven't mentioned, I don't know if you're going to mention it, Troy, because you are the the master researcher of all researchers. So maybe you will, and maybe <laughs> I'm jumping the gun here. But, uh, you know, the Judge Dredd character, too, yes. is essentially a riff on Dirty Harry. It's such an influential character because, like the Death Wish character of Paul Kersey, it's this revenge fantasy or this vengeance fantasy that none of us can say we haven't ever had in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not to the level of blowing somebody's head off. But certainly to the level of, you know, growing up and you, you know, you're like, I'm gonna get him back. He's gonna, I'm gonna get him back. I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna get her back. You know, there's this vengeance thing that I think we all have to deal with as we mature. Some of us never get past it. Some of us are still looking for revenge. Not me. I'm good. But (laughs) Um, I I do think that that fantasy is very strong. I mean, Tarantino's made a whole career out of it. So I think that fantasy is very strong. Vengeance and getting comeuppance and doing what a character thinks is right, even if it's not the right thing to do.
1: And they're they're nuanced films. I mean, I I think a lot of people going back and watching this series when we did the Zodiac, which is is why I jumped back into the Dirty Harry films. And my intention was just to watch the first one, but I ended up going through all of them. But even in the first film, there are scenes with him struggling about why is he even a cop? Because it's extremely frustrating. So I find them fascinating because it's almost a little bit of a peek into what's going on with a part of our society at that time period. And especially if you look at when they're released contextually from a historical standpoint, you see that Hollywood is being a bit exploitive with its topic, but there is enough Interesting concepts going on with the screenplay and the script, and I think the audience has gravitated to it. Now I think some of the wrong audiences got the wrong message out of it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it's a very to me it's a very fascinating franchise in terms of action films when you step back and you look at American cinema. And Brad, I think you did some research on the box office on how these things did in terms of budget and what they made, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's funny. I mean, these are what we consider today like micro budgets. I mean, (laughs) the first three were made for total less than $20 million. The first three. Holy cow. So Dirty Harry uh, has a $4 million budget, uh, makes $36 million in today's money, Troy. Guess what that is?
1: Um, $196,886,000. <laughs> yeah, so, so
2: <laughs> yes, you sent me the inflated numbers. So yes, almost $200 million. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, um, <laughs> Magnum Force, somewhere between 5 and $7 million budget, makes close to $40 million, which again, in today's money, is over $200 million. That's crazy. The Enforcer, has a huge budget compared, has a $9 million budget. Whoa. Makes $46 million, which again is about $196 million in today's money. Do you see a trend?
1: I they're printing money with this okay. character. Yes. Yeah.
2: Sudden impact gets a $22 million budget, makes $67 million, which at the time was, I mean, that's three times its money. But um, now Sudden Impact came out in 83, which was a great year because I was born in 83. No. Um, makes almost $188 million in today's dollars. Now here's where things get a little bit dicey. Um, the Deadpool, which is the film we're talking about tonight, has a $31 million budget, only makes $37 million. So again, with marketing and stuff probably makes a little bit of money, but uh, I I doubt it. Yeah. And and comparing it to the other films, it's definitely a bomb. Um, Now we'll also go down the rotten tomatoes hole. Do you want to know how it goes? And
1: and in full context too, for the adjusted inflation, you just talked about sudden impact making like $188 million. If, if the Deadpool came out, in in today it would have only made like 83 million. Yeah, only 83 billion dollars. <laughs> but it, mean, but again, yeah. that's that budget of would you say 31 million? Yes, I 31. Mean, again, it that's a movie that costs like 70 some odd million dollars. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah. spent yeah. a lot of money on it because if if you're a studio and you go back and look at the returns from 71 to 83, you do think you're printing money with this character. But 1988, things are entirely different. And, you know, after we talk about the rotten tomato scores and stuff, we'll talk about the summer that this came out because I, movies are changing and society's Um, changing at that point too. But okay, let's, let's go through the rotten tomato score.
2: All right. So the original dirty Harry, uh, sits at an 89% on rotten tomatoes.
0: Wow. I'm surprised. I gotta be honest. I'm surprised by that.
2: Yeah. But you'll see there there might be what we call a downward trend. So, uh, (laughs) Magnum Force seventy two percent. Okay, The Enforcer sixty eight percent. Sudden Impact fifty six percent. The mm. Deadpool fifty five percent. Also, The Deadpool has a forty four percent audience score. So, it's funny the films, you know, return wise were pretty much the same up until the end, and then The Deadpool kind of falls off. And uh, but they critically you know, it it fell off pretty quick. Um, there's a 17% difference between, um, the first and second films. So it's interesting to see that, uh, critically people were off of this character, uh, way quicker than the audience was.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you want to talk about the films that came out when the Deadpool came out?
2: Yeah. So the Deadpool comes out July of 1988, July 13th. Um, Let's play a little game that I like to play. Did Troy or Sammy see it in the
1: theater? Oh, okay. I know yeah. one movie I saw like <laughs> 10 times in the theater in July that
0: year. No, All right. I, I, saw it, I saw it in the theater. I know I did.
1: Did you see A License
2: to Drive in the theater? Yes. Okay. <laughs> did you see
1: Short Circuit 2?
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the one where Fisher Stevens plays the Pakistani man? Yep.
1: Yes, yep. saw it at Cinemas yep. West at Wichita, Kansas. I remember it. Yep.
0: Uh, did you see the
2: Adventures of Pippi Longstocking?
0: No. Oh man. Okay. I'm no. sad to say I did not see that in the no. theater, okay. but so I, I am up. a fan of that movie.
2: Yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Did you see a fish named Wanda?
0: Yes. Yes. Yep.
2: Okay. So we are three, for four right now. Uh, <laughs> Troy, did you see the greatest action movie of all time, directed by Mr. John McTiernan? Die Hard at, in a
1: theater. Yeah, Town West, and I okay. saw it, and then went back and took uh, my dad the next day, and then I saw it the day after that. That film I have seen more times in a theater than any other film ever, and every time it plays out here, I, I got to I got to take the kids to see it at the Senator, which is like one of the oldest films, or excuse me, the Parkway, which is one of the oldest theaters here in Baltimore, and they absolutely love it. But yes, I, I saw that many many times. Did you see Akira in the theater? Probably not. I I actually got to see it in the theater, but not on its release. Not July sixteenth of nineteen eighty eight. No. Did you For see Midnight Midnight Run? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I right. did North Road.
2: Right, there's there's two more two more films. <laughs> Troy, I'm gonna guess you probably saw this one. Did you see Cocktail?
1: Yes, Tom Cruise. Oh heck yeah. <laughs> oh know.
0: yeah, I was there. I saw it as well.
2: <laughs> okay, and the last one, this one, I don't know. Who saw Monkey Shines in the theater? Uh, that would be me. This
1: guy. <laughs> <Yep>. Okay. <laughs>
0: wow. We. It's, it's very clear as, as time has gone on, and I've known Troy for longer. It's very clear that the similarities in our our lives are are shocking. Yeah. Uh, it is.
1: It yeah. is crazy. I feel like we live the same life, and we just ended up yeah. in a different state. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very. It's shocking and almost uncomfortable. It's it's really weird. I'm a little uncomfortable
2: being in the window between you guys on Zoom. So uh I'll
1: put the yes. shirt
0: back on.
2: So okay. So I, I just want to say just how insane some of the films of nineteen eighty eight were. Mm. Because you have things like They Live, Earth Girls Are Easy, Blood Sports. Oh. Um yeah. what else do we have? Uh twins.
0: Oh, that's That's one of my favorite Schwarzenegger films. Yeah,
2: Mac and Me, like Above the Law, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Rain Man. uh, Of course, I said Midnight Run, Dangerous Liaisons. Oh,
1: 88's a great year, man. Burning Mississippi,
2: Big, Mystic Pizza, I mean, Beetlejuice. There's like, 88 is one of the greatest film years of all time.
1: And it's at Heat, Who Framed
2: Roger Rabbit? It, sorry, it just it goes on and on and on and on. oh,
1: yeah. Angels,
2: one of Angel's favorite
1: movies, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark.
2: Elvira, yes. Well, so. and, yeah, and a couple of movies. Child's you, Play. No, I'm sorry. Okay, no, no, a couple of movies you just mentioned.
1: <laughs> if you think about the action films that came out that year, Dirty Harry just didn't necessarily fit the equation anymore, especially with where Hollywood was going. With sort of more of, of
2: the, an everyman thing, right? Yeah, kind if, of. A, if you look
1: at the cops, well, I mean, Die Hard is a great example because this kind of went up against diehard that summer mm-hmm. um and diehard just you know took its lunch man it uh it ran away with all the money yeah. um but obviously I see there's
0: some similarities between dirty harry and john mcclain though there are
1: but i think there are there's different beats within diehard that dirty harry well, yeah. wasn't gonna go to
0: the wife beater is in Die Hard. <laughs> there you go <laughs> <laughs>
1: um <laughs> but yeah, eighty eight. I, I remember specifically that entire summer just being in love with the films and everything that was coming out. I I just tried to see, uh, and I'm not saying that you know the '80s were the greatest decade for movie making. I will say it was the greatest decade for action movie making, in my opinion, worldwide. But
0: it was the greatest decade for me personally. It was the greatest decade of going to the movies um, because obviously that's when I went to the movies the most. So it's easy for me to say that, but it's. Yeah. I think the 80s was, I mean, talk about dangling a carrot for movie fans. It's The, the 80s was that dangling carrot that uh, you needed to get Sammy the Mule into the theater. <laughs> that was great.
1: Well, let's let's talk about um, you know the people that are behind the camera in front of the camera of this film from 1988, to The Deadpool. And we'll start with director Buddy Van Horn. So, on yeah. IMDb, he has hundred and nine film credits for stunts. This guy is known for his stunt coordinator, stunt work, etc. He's directed three films. He did 1980s Any Which Way You Can, which is a classic. It's the sequel to Every Which Way But Loose. Yes, he, it is. Yes, he did the 1980s. Arguably,
0: arguably, pound for pound, as good as that film because it has William Smith at the end and, uh, and uh, uh, Clint Eastwood jogging next to each other, and you're almost positive. They're going to have a sexual relationship at some point. And a, yeah, but then they just hit each other, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's, I, I, it is sort of a sexual relationship, yes. really, if you think about it. <laughs> uh,
1: but you're right. In terms of a film series, the original and the sequel, I can watch those two back to back. And oh, yeah. the, the first one I just picked because it was the first one. I have the best memories of it, but I love oh, those sure two films. Yeah. Yeah. So he did that one, he did the Deadpool, and then he did a film the year after this, Pink Cadillac, which I'm not exactly <laughs> a fan of. But what is interesting is we are going to talk about Jim Carrey and he's in this film. He's also in pink Cadillac as an Elvis impersonator. So there you go. (laughs) So buddy, buddy Van Horn. And I I can't remember if you said it, Sammy or you, Brad, but I think a lot of people look at him as a director and go, that might be a name on there. And really when we talk about the production and how quick this thing went um, you know, I'm, I'm sure Eastwood had a lot to say in terms of some of the decisions that were being made behind the scenes. Here's where also it gets interesting. The uh, story is done by three people, Steve Sharon during Pearson and Sandy Shaw. The screenplay credit goes to Steve Sharon, and this is his only screenplay and story credit. And I think the way the story goes is these three are just like Clint Eastwood's gym buddies or something that came up with the concept of the Deadpool um, because they were trying to get this made for Warner Brothers because Warner Brothers was giving him the money to do a uh, Charlie Parker film that Eastwood was interested in called Bird. Uh, the other person that I just want to spend Do you know
2: a- the first time that the Deadpool uh, concept was created or what it was created for?
1: What it was created for? No, I don't.
2: I believe it was for the Indianapolis 500. I believe they had a Deadpool for like race car drivers,
0: I, I think. Oh, really? So- I think so. Makes sense. Yeah. I I learned something.
1: Cool. Awesome. There you go. Uh, And if I'm wrong, then, you know, whatever. eh, The internet (laughs) will let us know. We should
0: should also say that Buddy Van Horn is a close personal friend of Clint Eastwood's. (laughs) Yes. They go way back.
1: So (laughs) here's, here's somebody you want to talk about too. And I don't know what your guys thought on this, but one of the things that stuck out for me in this film and a lot of the dirty Harry films is the music. And so the composer is, um, do you say it Lalo or Lalo
0: Lalo, I Lalo, say Lalo. Schifrin. Lalo, Schifrin. Lalo Schifrin, Lalo Schifrin, Lalo
1: Schifrin, how are yes. you gonna say it? Yeah, Howard. so uh, six Oscar nominations, three Golden Globe nominations. I'm amazed he hasn't like actually won an Academy Award yet. He did win four Grammys, but here here's some of the movies that, of course, he's he's done composition for. Right out of the gate, the Rush Hour franchise. There's your Jackie Chan connection. I, I feel like we should promise one every episode, um, and Battle Creek. Brawl, which I think is the best Jackie Chan score out there from 1980.
0: Tarantino's used a piece of his music before, too. Yeah. The Amityville
1: Horror, 1979, he did that soundtrack, and he got an Oscar nomination for it, which kind of shocked me. This guy has so many credits, but here's some other ones. I was just picking the ones that I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember. The first VHS that we ever rented when we got like our big uh, VHS top loader deck with the remote control wire Um, He did the film score for this, and it was 1978's The Cat from Outer Space. Oh, yeah.
0: That's a wonderful movie.
1: Yeah, and he did uh, the score for Wait, what? The (laughs) Cat from Outer Space. You've never seen The Cat from Outer Space?
0: No. Hey, man. Well, here's the chance to do the Disney group watch. We might have to try that. Yes. Okay. Oh, your kids are going to love
1: it. I love that. I can watch The Cat from Outer Space all the time, man. I love that film. Okay. It's so good. Yeah. Um, Enter the Dragon, 1973, did the score for this. I didn't didn't know this one. Uh, THX 1138. Uh, He did the score for that dirty Harry, obviously Kelly's heroes, uh, 1970 bullet in 1968. Um, cool hand Luke in 1967 nominated for an Oscar. So here's a composer. I I just always, anytime I see his name, I really love the soundtrack and the score. And I'm amazed at how many of these soundtracks I actually own, but I didn't know if there's a cat from outer space soundtrack, I want it. So (laughs) yeah, there you go on vinyl. Like two days di- two, two special
0: kind of synonymous with the mission impossible theme though. Right. Like that's the yes. one thing that yeah, everybody we, knows.
1: We didn't even get to the TV stuff. I mean, I, I'm just oh, talking yeah. films here, but I mean, this guy makes yeah. some of the, some of the most memorable music, you know, for, for our times. Yep. Um, let's talk about the cast real quick. So Clint Eastwood, Harry Callahan, we, we kind of spent some time on him. What I found interesting is if you look at some of the movies he was doing, Leading up to this and even after it, he did City Heat in 1984 with Burt Reynolds. I love that film. I don't know. Have you seen it, Brad? I'm sorry. What was that? City Heat with him and Burt Reynolds. I don't think so. Oh, Sammy? What do you think? I know you've seen it. You probably saw it (laughs) in the theater because I saw it in the theater with my
0: parents. I saw it in the theater with my parents. Yes. (laughs) Um which we're coming to find out was his parents. And, you know, we were just lost. <laughs> we were yeah, yeah, lost birth.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait a minute.
0: It's um, getting weird here. 1984's
1: Tightrope, which I also saw in the theater. And there's a scene in there um, specifically where I've never felt more awkward in a movie theater when Clint Eastwood, I don't know, is interrogating somebody. Uh-huh. And then <laughs> she turns on something in her hand. And I remember as a kid, like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. <laughs>
0: it was your say? It was your sexual awakening?
1: I don't. To the, I mean, I'm telling you, it was probably in my 20s when I went back and revisited that film. I'm like, oh, oh,
0: yeah. okay. that movie's something else, man. People should check that out. That movie's it, it's a it's a weird one in his filmography. Yeah, it
1: doesn't fit, but it it is interesting. He yeah. did uh, Pale Rider in 1985 and directed that. He did Heartbreak Ridge in '86. Was a director for there. Then does the Deadpool in '88. But that same year, he does the um, Charlie Parker film Bird, which again, Warner Brothers said, you can go do this if you do a Dirty Harry movie for us. And then he follows um, this up and Bird with Pink Cadillac, which I'm not exactly a, a fan of, but I I probably need to revisit it.
2: No, no, you don't. It's Why? not good. Okay. I'm going to be honest
0: with you right now. You don't really. It's not good.
2: No. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. It's one of,
0: out, out of all of his films, out of all the films I've seen Clint Eastwood in, that is the one that, I wish I never would have seen.
1: <laughs> Did you see and in the that, theater, too? Because I remember seeing it in the theater. That was the only time I saw it.
0: I'm not even, even going to say the word. You can just see uh, my okay. head. Yeah, I can see. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, let's move I on. Think he's, I think he's
2: got a worse movie. We'll get to it. Oh, Ooh, nice. nice. has a worse movie?
0: Yes.
1: I stopped there. What is his worst movie? Hereafter.
0: Oh. You know, I've never seen Hereafter, so I can't, I I, can't comment. It's really bad. And I, I
1: love Matt Damon, but I haven't seen bad. that
0: one either. I, I own no. it. I haven't watched it. No. <clears throat> Troy Troy one-ups me there. I don't own it. Honestly, I don't really have any interest in seeing it, to be honest with
1: you. Clint Eastwood is one of those that at some point I'm going to be able to say I've seen everything. Only because I just think he's one of those directors that I'm always fascinated with and and even actors. And I I feel like I want to go out and just see the entire filmography. Mm. Um, Let's talk about Liam Neeson as Peter Swan. Wow.
2: Wow. Let's talk about him. (laughs) Man, Liam, Dude, when I saw of, Liam Neeson in this movie, I was bewildered.
0: Yeah. It, I had no clue. Isn't it kind of cool though that you know Liam Neeson ends up being the kind of Clint Eastwood of the uh 2000s? Yeah, um,
2: he kind of takes
1: his yeah, takes that mantle. There. Well, yeah. it's it's crazy. He was he was working like a lot in '87, '88. Yeah. So in '87, yeah. he does A Prayer for the Dying. Uh in 87 he does Suspect, which is I think the Dennis Quaid and Cher thriller, the courtroom thriller yeah. film. In 1988, he has like four movies come out, Satisfaction, The Deadpool, The Good Mother, and High Spirits. And then in 89, comes out with Next of Kin with Patrick Swayze, which is- Or he
0: has a Kentucky accent, and it is a brutal, let yes. me tell you.
1: That, that's a fun watch just because- It is, it is a good movie. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, yeah. It, I, I, it's it's, it's kind of cheesy, but I, I enjoy it, so. 90 is the big one. What's well, 90. Dark man, baby. Oh yeah, Sam And and th- I think that's when I instantly became a Liam Neeson fan because I love that film.
0: Yeah, I love it as well.
1: Um, what do you What do you guys know much about uh, Patricia Clarkson? I I always, anytime re- I see her name, I always think of The Untouchables, which I think is one of her first films. from uh, nineteen eighty
0: seven. I'm not the biggest fan. I got to be honest. I mean, I think she's fine, but to me, she's like, you know some lead character's mom, one one Like, that's what I usually think of her as. Like, I seen her in this and remembering she was in this and that she was the love slash whatever interest for Dirty Harry was kind of weird for me because I'm so used to seeing her as, like, somebody's mom.
1: Yeah, so she plays a lot of those roles. Yeah.
0: I will say she was in
2: an HBO series called Sharp Objects. She played the... I think it's Amy Adams or... Yeah, Amy Adams' mom in that show and she's really good. Um, that's a really great show, but yeah, she's uh really hateable in that in that show, in that movie, so or in the show. And then seeing her in this movie was a little bit weird, kind of going back and being like, Oh, that's her. So yeah, um, she's a great I think she's really good, to yeah. be honest.
1: I, I yeah, actually she, think she's a good actress too, um, in the film and uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this. Like it's—it's it's probably my favorite movie she's done. But it's 2003's *The Station Agent* with Peter Dinklage and Bobby Cannavale. It's a good
0: one. Yeah, I, I absolutely love. Li-
1: yeah, Cannavale. Yeah, I think those three are fantastic. She shines in that film.
0: She's really good in an independent horror film that Larry Fessett had made called *Wendigo*, Windi- which I uh, would advise people to check out.
1: Oh, okay. I don't think I've seen that one.
0: 2001 *Wendigo*.
1: Okay. Well, moving on. Oh, that's right. She plays the wife in Miracle as well.
2: I was trying to think of what Kurt Russell movie she was in and it was Miracle.
0: Well, well she's like, always she's usually always I mean, she's fine. She's yeah, a good she's actor. She's either the mom or the wife, uh,
1: the wife. yes. Like yeah. everybody's all American, eighty eight, I think the same year. Yeah.
0: That's probably more of a a shame on Hollywood type thing because yes. I mean kind of got typecast of that, but she's good every I mean, I've never seen her in anything where I haven't thought she's not serviceable. Certainly. But, you know, Eastwood tends to surround himself with some if well, at this point, he's like, I think it's over with Sandra Locke at this point or close to it. Yeah. So he tends to surround himself with some hot younger lady. Uh, I don't know if that's a personal thing or him or what, but hey, I don't know if she you can get
2: away think. with it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: so we move on to one of my favorite stars. Because when I think about this guy and some of the movies he's been in, I instantly just think of the Kentucky Fried movie from 1977 and uh, Caveman in 81. I don't know. If, I know Sammy has seen these. Brad, you. Or, or. Mega Force from 1982. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a yes. good one.
0: He's done two lots of the three, TV. Two of the three of those I've seen in the theater.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've seen Caveman and Mega Force in the theater. Uh, Kentucky yeah, Fried the movie, favorites. I think I discovered. Later in life, but Evan C. Kim <laughs> as Al Kwan is fantastic, and he's one of those that I get super excited anytime I see him on screen. Yes. Oh, here's where it gets interesting. So Jim Carrey is Johnny Squares. I keep forgetting all the time that he's in this. But if you look at the movies that he was doing leading up to this, he was in Once Bitten in 1985, Peggy Sue Got Married in 86. He does the Deadpool in 88, same year. Earth Girls Are Easy, which is a fantastic movie. Pink Cadillac in 89 and then hits it big in 1994 with Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And yeah. um, I believe at this time he was James Carey. He's credited as James. James. He was going for that
0: serious. Yeah, More sophisticated.
2: Credit. Yes. I am James Carey.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Ace Ventura was a game changer, right? I mean, it was for him anyway. And I don't know about.
2: Wasn't the ma- Was it mask before?
0: Yeah. Game and Ventura? I really think mask kind of gets overlooked because I think it's, you know, obviously the CGI is really dodgy now, but I think Mask is, is really quite good.
1: I I, I like it. I, th- I think Ace Ventura, I mean, the the Mask was great, but as soon as Ace Ventura hit, I think Jim Carrey was here to stay with that sort of brand of comedy that he was doing.
2: Yeah, I Ace Ventura, going back to Ace Ventura now might be a little bit of a, a chore, but uh, you'll have to definitely put your hat on and say, this was 1994. Uh, let's not worry about all the uh, transphobia going on, but it's still funny. I mean, there are parts that make me laugh. I'm not going to apologize for laughing at stuff. That's inappropriate. Oh, yeah. And
0: Well, that's the point of the movie, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's hitting it's, you with a, it's shocking all
2: 11 year old anyway. Brad thought all that stuff was really funny. And there are sure. times with <laughs> if, if someone talks, if, a, if someone talks out there, but I'm going to make, I'm going to
1: laugh. I'm going to laugh.
0: Well, I'm going to tell you right now, 48 year old Sammy will still <laughs> laugh at the scene where he talks out of his butt. Okay. Yes.
1: And 48 year old Troy probably <laughs> has tried to recreate that scene for his family at times. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, Jim
2: Carrey is also very good in Sonic the Hedgehog, by the way, surprisingly where he's
0: bringing, <laughs> where he's kind of going back to that. Style of comedy, right? Where he's yep. kind of bringing that back. Yeah. Yep. I, I need to catch that.
1: I think I think it's, I bought the 4K when it was on sale. It's, you actually, watch it. it's
2: actually not that bad.
1: That's what I hear. Everybody everybody enjoys it. So. so real quick, before we get into just sort of our thoughts on this one, we talked about Clint agreeing to play Dirty Harry for Warner Brothers to do Bird. The project, and you mentioned this, Brad, and I, I thought this was super fascinating. So the project was announced. So Warner Brothers comes out January 1988 and says, we're making a n- new Dirty Harry film. They start filming it in February, and the final product is released in July. So yep. from February to July, they make a movie, edited, composed. It's just out the door, right? Clint Eastwood is the inverse of Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Absolutely. So this one – now, I've only found this a couple of places. I don't know if it's true, but um, just a little piece of trivia. So Rob Leifeld, who is a comic book creator. um He's the Deadpool guy is the Deadpool guy. So he's responsible. Oh, sorry. For you're going to say, yeah, yeah he's responsible for the Deadpool character has said that the title of this film was the inspiration for the name of the Marvel comics character Deadpool. So,
2: and in the first Deadpool, they kind of harpened back to that because there's the Deadpool on the board. Yes.
1: And so, yeah, so it's a call. It's a callback. I believe Troy, I, I, I think that is the technical name for it, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so okay we've we spent a lot of time talking about clint eastwood talking about this franchise and we get to the fifth and final one the one that didn't do so well in the box office the one that the critics just hate and apparently the audience didn't really you know find it too groovy as well but i'm curious uh in and, and full disclosure you guys and i'm just assuming you watched this film on its own without going back to watch the other dirty Harry films right
2: i did
0: uh, yes i did I
2: And I'll I'll say I was going to, but I didn't – I wanted to review this movie as a movie um, because it's been forever since I've seen the other four. And I just wanted to say, could someone come to the fifth movie and enjoy it as a movie and not as the fifth installment of a series? So that was my, hey, I'm not going to do any more work than I'm supposed to. (laughs) So here's my justification. But it sounded great.
0: Unfortunately, I didn't send you guys any books on this one. I'll, I'll yeah. make sure I change that in my mind next time around. I'll make sure I find some more literature for you guys. <laughs> no, that's perfect.
1: The, the John Carter stuff was awesome. So, I, I now this is the second time I've seen the film, probably within the year, because when we did the Zodiac episode, I my intent was just to watch the first Dirty Harry, and then I turned around and just watched all of them. And as soon as I finished this one and went back uh, and looked at you know, the financials and how it was received, I immediately put this on our list because I wanted to talk about this at some point. So with that, uh, I I do want to start with your take, Brad, because for Sammy and I, we are revisiting this film. And this is a first-time watch for you. So I I would like to start with you and just get your initial thoughts on 88's The Deadpool.
2: It's, um, you know, (laughs) I don't know. So... (laughs) It starts off and it pretty much gets to the Jim Carrey thing pretty quickly. And it's like Jim Carrey singing Welcome to the Jungle in like a meat locker sort of deal. And then, you know, there's a Hotel Satan neon sign in the background. And there's all these cool posters. And the only thing I can think of is like Hotel Satan. You check in. You don't check out. (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, that, that whole kind of old trailer thing was like going through my head. Um, you know, it's, it's 90 minutes. It's pretty breezy. Um, he has a sidekick that, uh, is not white and he never says anything sort of mean to the guy or anything like that, which I was waiting for that. Um, knowing what I know, um, I've seen <laughs> Grand Torino a few times. I, I know it's in him, um, Yeah, But it's it's a fun action movie. I think tonally, it's all over the place. You know, it hits you over the head with media and violence and the way those two play on each other. Um, I mean, there's no subtlety in this movie at all. And um, there's like a cool car chase at the end that I might've watched two or three times because I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I, you know... At the end of the day, like it washed over me and it was totally fine. Like, I wouldn't say it's inoffensive because, I mean, it it is, but um, it's fine. Like, it's a fine action movie. I'm glad I saw it. I can say I've seen them all. I would not rush out and rewatch this over and over again. Um, I don't necessarily think I'm in love with the premise um, because I think it's a little bit uh, cumbersome. Like the way it kind of plays out. And usually, when you've got a mystery killer, uh, the twist that, like, oh, he was involved and it was this character the whole time is a good reveal. But here, that character is never kind of shown it to be a part of the story. So even the reveal is a little bit, uh, if, you know, falls flat. But again,
0: I think you're fine. being very kind there. I think it's. Yeah, <laughs> it's as ineffective as a reveal as as maybe ever put on front of a camera. <laughs> well, that's harsh, but okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean the only thing that matches is the jacket and the ponytail. So, and his love for RC cars, I'll give him that. But I mean, you, you got, I, I think in any red herring situation, you got to establish the herring a little bit, and I, I just think all of a sudden we have a bad guy. It's like yeah, hey, yeah, That's true.
1: All right, Sammy. What so? This is a revisit for you. What, yeah. what was your your initial take on it?
0: I hadn't watched this in a long time. Uh, I remember seeing it in the movie theater. Uh, I remember not being super impressed with it because it felt like this was Eastwood trying to stay hip at the time. Uh, revisiting it, uh, it still feels a little bit like that, but now I kind of get the humor. Maybe it's because I'm 20-something years old. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult to myself. It's one or the other. But uh, uh, at the time, I remember thinking, "Oh yeah, man, well, he's he's got he's got to work in his catchphrase." Because I think I you know I joke with you guys that, or I at least joke with Troy. I know about the shit out of luck thing, which I think comes around three times here, which is always the the popular way to do things. The rule of threes, so to mm-hmm. speak, uh, to use the shit out of luck line. And obviously, sudden impact. We talked about that a little earlier. I mean, that has the most infamous, dirty Harry line. I would argue. Even above the original Dirty Harry, I think when anybody, ever anybody thinks of Clint Eastwood, almost nine times out of ten, they think of two lines of dialogue: either uh, "You feel lucky, punk," or uh, "Go ahead, make my make day." My or, day. Yep. yep. So it's arguable which one is the most popular one, but I know "Make My Day" has always been a <laughs> a big part of my life. Um, it was it was a nice. I agree. It's a nice breezy rewatch. I, I, what I like about it is it's an eighties action movie. Um, it's an odd eighties action movie because by this time, most all of our eighties action heroes, uh, uh, are allergic to sleeves on shirts and, uh, they have issues like that. Right. So give me
2: that body butter, baby. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: By this point, by this point, we almost want our action heroes to be real life superheroes, right? We want, uh, Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Schwarzenegger, Stallone. Stallone
1: I don't, I don't uh, know. I, I want mine to have sweater
0: vests. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, then this is the movie for you. The, uh, yeah. No, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Not, not to say, because the weirdest thing about this movie, and this is the great thing about, and I, sorry, Brad, I, I feel like I'm leaving you out sometimes here, but I don't mean to be. So right. the great thing about uh, Troy and I's generation, and Todd, he's the same age as us as well, Troy. But we always talk about this. There was that great grace period where, you could be funny and as violent as you want to be. And your parents would still take you to the movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if you blew somebody's heads off, head off, that was fine. Just please don't show any boobs. Uh, that makes mom and dad uncomfortable, but oh uh, yeah, the brains on the wall. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Isn't it That's funny? Um, but it, I was surprised going back and revisiting it how violent this movie is. <laughs> it uh, it starts
1: it starts out violent with a gunshot yeah. to the head and you see everything. I mean, that's yeah. crazy.
0: I was I was pretty shocked by that, and this coming from a person who watches a lot of violent movies. But I had thought by this point, not that Clint Eastwood has ever shied away from violence. I mean, Ultra Unforgiven is a study on violence. But I don't know. I was just I was kind of stunned by that, and then I was kind of stunned by the fact that this is just a straight up genre movie, this is really kind of just a slasher movie with a super cop in it. Yep. And uh, really the only thing really very dirty, hairy about this whole movie is Clint Eastwood. A lot of the other stuff from the four previous films, I think is kind of dropped as Brad kind of said, you know, he doesn't say anything mean to the Al Kwan character, which is fine. I don't think we need any of that by the time the eighties roll around. Uh, That was a a seventies thing. And, you know, it, it it just it, it just doesn't carry and it certainly wouldn't carry. I now. was
2: waiting for like, what's he going to do? Karate or something yeah. like that. I was waiting for it and it never well, happened. No, they, they have a good Bravo, relationship. I Bravo, mean, yeah. They
1: respect each other from yeah. the get-go, which is yeah. kind of strange for this genre.
0: Yeah, it is strange for the Dirty Harry character because he seems like a character stuck in a certain level of maturity where he's very much a stick in the mud. Yeah. Um, But here this is the strangest part about the, this film is This is Dirty Harry as it's almost like a a maturation of the Dirty Harry character. (laughs) And that's a really weird thing to say because we're dealing with Hotel Satan. We're dealing with uh, a harpoon gun. You
2: don't check out.
0: Yeah, we're dealing with a harpoon gun. We're dealing with all kinds of craziness here in RC car. I mean, this movie is flat out bonkers uh, when you really think about it. It's nuts. It's, It's, It's like, what is going on? And I love it for that reason. As far as a Dirty Harry movie, honestly, I think this is the weakest of the Dirty Harry movies. Wow! But wow. Roger Ebert would disagree with you. Yes, yeah, but, I, I I would but disagree I, with you too. <laughs> I, but I but I like those other Dirty Harry movies quite a bit. So yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I like all five films. I do, and uh, any kind of derivative of Dirty Harry. I love the whole concept of the the right wing or the super cop or the cop is going to take things into his own hands. I mean. We, we talked about this with the Dirty Harry character and how much it influenced Italian cinema, but I mean, it influenced Jackie Chan as well in a way, right? I yeah, mean, it did. Uh, the police, police story is essentially a kind of a riff on Dirty Harry in a way, but it really, what it what it, that character did is, you know, the whole scene of, you know, give me your badge and your gun and then, you know, you go on and finish the case anyway. That whole genre is what that Dirty Harry thing really did and well, I don't know. This, this one just feels like Dirty Harry. This It feels like slasher thriller movie and let's throw Clint Eastwood in there because he wants to make bird. And I, I, it felt like that before I even knew that piece of information. I promise you that, but I still like
2: it. it. Isn't it like those, Later on, Hellraiser movies that were like not Hellraiser movies, and then they just kind of threw in Pinhead.
1: This is like oh, it's, like, oh, come on, it's not even in that ballpark. More so like those is, later on,
0: Leprechaun movies. Yeah, that just bought until. Is it on. Troy? Is it? <laughs> is no, it it's
1: far? not. So here, here's my. So you bring up Roger Ebert, and so I wrote a little bit of his review down when this film came out, and I I thought it was really good. So he says. The film is smart, quick, and made with real wit. It's never just a crude action movie bludgeoning us with violence. It's self-aware. It knows who Dirty Harry is and how we react to him, and it has fun with its intelligence. Also, of course, it bludgeons us with violence. Mm. I actually think that's the best review you could find for this film because I I do agree he got it. He got. He, yeah.
0: He, yes. I think it's, I think it's a very fair review. I do yeah. think it's witty. I do think it's a witty movie. And you know, when I was a younger person, I thought it was like droll, but as I've gotten older, well, it I, is a, it is a comment. It, and, is, it is a commentary.
1: Yeah. I have a question for you. Is it due to age or is it directly because of how many action films you've seen? Because I, I'm with you as well. When I saw this in the theater, I kind of liked it because it was crazy and that we'll talk about that car chase scene. Cause that's (laughs) always what sticks out to me. But you know, again, revisiting it, I, I kind of had that same reaction, but I don't know if it's because I found it funnier because I'm older or I found it funnier because I know kind of what jokes he's playing into because I've seen this genre like through and through.
0: I think when I saw the movie, the problem I had with it was by this point, not only are my action heroes bigger, stronger and sweatier, but they are also, they're more than just somebody pointing a gun. They're right. getting in there. Right. And I think, you know, I was just a young, a young buck going to the movies. And I just think I wanted more of that. And Dirty Harry just couldn't sweat at that point for me, you know, I would have been, I don't know. What, 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 what year is this again? I would Idiot. have been 13, 14. 15. Oh yeah. So I'd have been 15. Wow. Uh that's a very that's a very developmental year. Sure. You could argue, right? I think I wanted more. You know, I I hadn't I hadn't really discovered the D Jackie Chan stuff yet. Uh, some of it hadn't been made yet. But I hadn't. You know, all I knew of karate films or kung fu films or Asian cinema was Shaw Brothers stuff and stuff I watched on cable TV on the weekends in the morning. But I wanted more of that at that point. And I also, I just wanted more. I, I wanted more Stallone and Schwarzenegger, is what I wanted. I, you know, I wanted that.
1: Yeah. I, I find this to be if, if canon films wanted to make a decent satire of an 80s action film, that's what you would get with this film. So, uh,
0: yeah. All, it feels like all, a canon film. It feels like a canon film in a
1: lot of ways. Absolutely. So, I feel like this is, it's, it's your typical eighties action film. I think when Eastwood was told that he has to make a dirty Harry film, and just think about it from this perspective, your director, you are kind of done with that character because you want to go do a Charlie Parker film. So if you're going to come back to dirty Harry, you're probably going to have fun with it. And you're going to take it to the extreme because I watched this thing two ways i watched it back to back with all the dirty harry films and boy did this thing stick out but it really in my opinion becomes this piece of film that is almost a commentary on everything that led up to it in that franchise and especially the 80s and it really works well so you could just go back and watch maybe you know dirty harry and magnum force and then turn around and watch this thing and i think it works really well together but yeah. even on its own, so not watching it in the context of the, those other Dirty hairy films, it feels like a Chuck Norris 80s canon film that is actually better production value is funnier. Uh, and I think you brought this well, up, Brad. It's
2: Does this have a helicopter fight, Troy, two guys fight? on a helicopter ropes fighting each other? Oh, D- you, said you talking Chuck about Morris? Delta Force 2? Yeah, yeah, does It, it does it.
0: In fairness, as a fellow action head myself, I mean, it doesn't take much to be funnier than a Chuck and a Chuck. Yeah, that's true. No, I give you that.
2: There might be. I, I think everyone is funnier than Chuck Norris. He might be the least funny person.
0: I'll show you, how, um, I'll show you right here with props. How much charisma Chuck Norris has. Here's, here's a light bulb, but it's not turned on. <laughs> but it's not turned on. So. Yeah.
1: No, that's fair. But I, I just I, I had a lot of fun with this film in both, uh, I guess, Ways of watching it, watching it as part of just an entire franchise and then also yes. watching it on its own.
0: So what Brad said is, I think, very important. I don't think that, you know, you don't need to see the series to enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. I think the other four are more tightly woven. Uh, is that a word? Yeah, woven together, interspersed, interlaced yeah, see these see these fingers here, boys. No, that's that's uh, that's good visual for yeah. a podcast. <laughs> yeah, good visual for <laughs> podcast there. I am fingering the both of you. There you yeah. go. Right. Uh, <laughs> the uh, but this one stands out, and I think that watching it as a standalone movie, I think it's just fine. Yeah, I think obviously I am bringing, and I know that I'm doing this. I am bringing some dirty hairy baggage with it, which sounds gross, but I, that's what <laughs> I am bringing with this movie. I am bringing a little bit of. Dirty hairy baggage to this, to but this I,
1: I think that's okay. I think if you bring that <laughs> that dirty hairy bag, even when I say it, oh my it god. Nasty. <laughs> okay, if if you're if, <laughs> if your baggage is dirty and hairy, <laughs> yeah, and if you're bringing that with you, <laughs> yeah. it's okay. It's fine. It yes. it can enhance the viewing. But I want to <laughs> ask you guys. So this film, you kind of. Uh, touched on this, Brad. It's trying to say something. Again, I don't know how successful it is, but there are some—I I don't know—commentary about uh, action films about this character specifically, Harry Callahan. That it is either I don't know, trying to change the dialogue about Harry Callahan, trying to infuse, you know, a question about violence in films. Etc. But I I just want to talk about some of these and and get your guys' view on does it work, right? So the first thing is when this was being made, even San Francisco pushed back and said, we don't want another Dirty Harry film in San Francisco because they saw this character as just bad publicity for the city. Then you had another part of the city going, well, wait a second. The great thing about the Dirty Harry films is they show off our city uh, and I, I agree with that one hundred percent. I've been to san francisco it's It's gorgeous, and I think the city does a good job of highlighting some very specific landmarks in it. but um Callahan's press and popularity are a subplot within this film, and it is what gives you the relationship with the reporter and you have a police department that is trying to capitalize on that and recognize it as a public relations opportunity so do you find that commentary to be useful, or you know, does it have an impact when we're talking about Dirty Harry and, and its relationship to the city?
2: I just find it so unreal that like people would care about an inspector or a cop of any type. Like, who's the most famous cop like now? <laughs> but like, they did don't, think,
1: <laughs> think about the Zodiac killer specifically. That detective was, and Dirty Harry is supposedly. <laughs> You know, based on that guy, based on him, but he, yeah. he was extremely popular for that area. So, I 100% believe the press can, I don't know, kind of fall in love or follow or, or find, you know, a police officer to be a central narrative that they always want to talk about. So, I, I thought it was fascinating that they bring this up and you have Harry Callahan just basically saying, I don't care, I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I <Yeah>. mean. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it is interesting. I mean, I, I think looking at it now in today's climate, it does seem kind of weird because of the world that cops are in right now. Right. But I think that, you know, I agree during the Zodiac thing that uh, Toshki Tashi, Tashi, was that his name? Yeah. Yeah. He, he became a bit of a celebrity. And if you look throughout our history as a society, when there's been a big bust or a big case, Sometimes the lead detectives, lead cops, police captains, or even just the attorneys, attorney generals or whatever, they become these kind of heroic figures. And uh, a lot of them end up becoming politicians, which may end up being worse. But, I mean, people, I don't know, they're they're drawn to that, this kind of cult of personality that is kind of strange. And I could see people being drawn to a cop like Harry because he's a rule breaker. And I think a lot of us, by our very nature, I mean, I I don't break rules. I'm very God. I'm about the most boring person you'll ever meet. But <laughs> I mean, I put puzzles together for a good time. I'm like <laughs> you have, you have um,
2: kids, that means like you no longer yeah, can you're on lockdown. Room. Yeah, yeah.
0: But at the same time, you know, it it it's kind of it's kind of cool to watch a cop say, you know what, screw the rules, man. I'm gonna do what I want to do. It just there's this fantasy to it, and uh, it's kind of fun, and certainly it's silly and not realistic. But it's yeah, I think we all kind of like the rebel a little bit right and here he's essentially a rebel in a sweater vest
1: (laughs) and and that subplot feeds into the next thing that it tries to tackle which is the media chasing after violence death mayhem to raise its ratings i mean that that it hits you over the head with this between the story arc with um uh the reporter as well as you've got this whole sequence where a guy's gonna burn himself you know just to get on television uh, does, it, does that yeah. work for you guys? I mean, it, it's trying to say something here about it's, violence, but.
2: It's the least subtle thing I've seen in a movie in a long time. Um, I mean, it, it works because it's done by brute force. You know, like they brute force it into this movie. Right. To the point where it's like, okay, we, we get it. It's in there. I understand what you're trying to say. Um, so it kind of works because they force it down your throat.
0: Yeah. yeah, it works because it, you have no choice for it but to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. but I do I do think like that. You will
2: get this or I will kill
0: you. Yeah, <laughs> that immolation scene. I believe it's called immolation when you set yourself on fire. I don't know if that's right or not. Uh, that might be, oh, I'd, I'd have to look that up and that would. Re- <laughs> anyway.
2: Am I putting a tire on my neck while I do that? Or? <laughs> yeah.
0: So the, <laughs> Sorry. The thing is with that scene that makes it work is it's also darkly comedic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it pays off it's kind of it's kind of like nothing's gonna happen he's gonna talk this guy off the ledge <laughs> and then the guy said so the guy you know was like oh yeah really oh okay and then he ends up getting caught on fire yeah, set on accidentally fire. of course
1: <laughs> yeah it, i i caught that too this movie especially as it's hitting you over the head with some of these look the the media is bad don't trust the media it's just going after the violence but then it has this comedic sort of dark undertone yeah. which again, yeah, I find is like, fascinating. Here, watch us
2: set the sky on fire,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is a, is a truly terrifying thing. Right. I mean, yeah. like it, there's so many death scenes we see in movies, but the idea of burning alive is like one of the worst. It's like awful.
1: Well, it's, so the other thing, so you've got the media and it talks about the media sort of I, maybe being a reason why people are sort of you know, not right in the head because of all the stuff that they're doing. The media sort of concentrates on that. But then you got commentary on horror films. I, I kind of found this interesting. Yeah, the
2: satanic panic kind of deal.
1: Well, Brad, I don't know if you caught this. At the end of the day, the Deadpool is a little bit of a retelling of Tenebrae, Dario Argento's film, right? So I, I find this kind of interesting that you've got the movie talking about a horror movie fan being a demented killer and you got the relationship between the cinephile and the filmmaker. And so you have a film fan. Who's I don't like where this is going, Troy. <laughs> oh, yeah. You have a film fan who stalks a director. He he wants a screenplay to get made. And all of a sudden, there's a restraining order. And again, it's similar to Dario Gento's story, his real-life story when he visited L.A., which he then borrowed to make uh, 82's Tenebrae. But what's funny is... I picked up on that immediately and thought, ooh, Brad's probably not going to like this movie now. Um, but the other thing that I thought was interesting is it kind of starts with the death of the film critic, which they kind of come out and say, yeah, that was sort of our jab at Pauline Kale calling, you calling know, Dirty Harry a, a fascist. But you get this Argento Giallo vibe with the black gloves and the knife. and Yeah, the knife, uh, yeah. I think, I think you yeah. talked about it, Sammy. It's kind of like a slasher film at that point. And then you get this line of dialogue, which I swear just comes right out of an Italian Giallo that's been dubbed. And and it's like, ooh, he stole my nightmares and, and made them real. I'm going to steal his Deadpool and make it real. And my favorite line was, a good director has to hear colors. So that's the kind of stuff you would just hear in an Italian giallo, and I I ate it up because <laughs> it, I, I I just I find that interesting. And again, I, I'm sitting here thinking, well, did, is is Eastwood is is Buddy? I mean, are 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 they kind of making fun of Argento films here? What are they doing? But I, I don't know what you guys thought about that sequence. I loved it. I, I loved all of it.
0: There is no way in hell Clint Eastwood has ever seen a Dario Argento film. I, I just have. Are you sure? I don't know, but of all the people that I would think would know Dario Argento, I don't think Eastwood would be the one. I don't even think he knows who Spike Lee is. I think he's already basically made that a line.
1: <laughs> a good director has to hear the colors, unless you've watched a dubbed Argento film like Deep Red or you know, don't torture an ugly duckling. Or he, they had to have watched that.
0: Uh, I don't know. Maybe I, 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 I highly doubt it. My money's on no. Uh.
1: Was that, was that no. your favorite part of the movie, Brad, is the Argento stuff?
2: No. No. <laughs> <Either>. <laughs> this movie does – I don't know. It's got two sort of peaks in this movie. Uh, it's, it's
1: the Jim Carrey part. Are we going to talk – can we talk about it now? Well, hold on. Okay. I, so the other thing this movie points out, and it's when – I think Swan Peter Swan is being interviewed and somebody calls Hotel Satan a low-grade exorcist ripoff and he goes off on his tirade. It's not a ripoff, it's a homage. (laughs) Homage. Homage. And what I find fascinating is you then get probably one of the best homages to one of the greatest car chases ever which is 1968's bullet they pretty much try to recreate this thing between an rc car and an oldsmobile so yes we can get to it now brad
2: it's insane like
1: (laughs) insane good or insane bad
2: it's so dumb but it is awesome like it is like i can't wait for fast 10 when they do something like this when they steal this like i can't i can't wait (laughs)
0: For me, that scene is better than the entire Fast franchise. <laughs> I kind of agree.
1: It, yeah. it,
2: I don't know. Fast Five
1: is pretty good, guys. <laughs> but it, it is. But I mean, come on. It's an inventive original concept where they're basically going through the streets of San Francisco and you get that classic hills like they're jumping over it. I, I love the little sequence that typically in a car chase, somebody's going to go on the sidewalk and start you know,
0: mowing down people. But in this one, like it's a little
1: RC car <laughs> doing all that yep. stuff and making the jumps. There's no. Yeah, the music. only thing
0: they didn't have the RC car do is like hit a fruit stand. You know, hitting fruit stands is a big deal. <laughs> it in tried,
1: but it, if it hit the fruit stand, it would have stopped the RC car, so it had to well, avoid the fruit. The great
0: stand. thing about the RC car isn't just the fact that it's doing all this stuff; it's the fact that they're so aware of what they're doing that they dropped the soundtrack for the RC car. Goals. Yes. We- yeah, yeah, there's the no music during this entire yeah. sequence, which it's is amazing. It's an amazing decision that is Oscar worthy compared to the rest of the movie. That's all I'll <laughs> say.
2: So so it's funny. This movie took two months to film. That scene was like almost two weeks. Yes. So like this is like basically huh. almost 20% of the
0: movie is this scene. I don't know about you guys. I have this, you know, there's certain things I can I have motor function issues sometimes. So there's certain things I can't do at the same time. Right. Like drive a car
2: and drive an RC car at the same time. How the hell do you do that?
0: Yeah. So obviously that's probably not happening, but think about that. Think about the talent it would take to drive a car, high speed and drive the RC car at the same time chasing. I mean, just think about how your brain has to work. Have you guys like
2: driven an RC car that goes really fast? like a 60 or 70 mile
0: yeah i have yes
2: they're he, almost impossible to drive straight
0: yes you will you will destroy it
1: if you do not know what you're doing yes well this guy not only knew what he was doing but he was driving he his car, a car while at the same he time. did this well, which is amazing is that
2: ambidextrous? like ambidextrous right he can do left yeah. and right just as well like, this guy
1: probably had the cure for cancer he was so smart so yeah. <laughs> it's it's amazing.
0: That whole yeah, that sequence, a small is so much version fun. of Bo Duke was in that car, or something.
2: We are like, like we're still selling it short. It is still one of the greatest things I've seen on cinema in my entire life. Like I watched it like three times.
1: I'm with you, bro. Every time I watch this film, every time I see this, I as soon as the movie's over, I go right back to it and watch it again. And what's it also made me go back and watch Bullet that entire sequence. So I I was really fascinated this time. Like, how many how many times did it just directly try and borrow some sequences? And it's it's kind of spot on in some places, but the feel for it, it it's so much fun. I, I
0: mean, I treat
2: the RC car like a real car. It's so funny.
0: It's awesome. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, I again I agree with Brad. I I don't think we could talk about it enough. I could spend an hour just talking about that sequence with you guys. The and pro- I would still not be done talking about it. The it problem
2: with it is after it's over, there's 24 minutes left to go in the movie. <laughs> well, it's
1: it's a slasher film after that. And it kind of crawls that. to
0: the end yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's got a nice payoff, the whole thing. Yes. It's got a nice punchline. Obviously, there's some foreshadowing with Slash from Guns N' Roses earlier on. Yeah. Oh,
2: we haven't even talked about GNR being in this
0: movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we'll get there
1: when we talk about okay. some of the performances. But let, I want to I want to talk about the action because you you guys are absolutely right. The RC car is the highlight, but I got to say there there are some things I really do like about this film. I like the the very first action sequences. You get eighties villains with Uzis, which I'm, oh, yeah. I'm sold great. right. Yeah, and yeah. like you said, Sammy, it's super violent in the beginning because <laughs> when he's blowing people away, I mean he's literally blowing everybody away. Yeah, um, you. And the Chinese restaurant sequence. So was it three, four guys with this heavy firepower, Uzis and all, trying to knock off a Chinese restaurant and their cash drawer? Yeah, they got $47.18. <laughs> yeah, a lot of guys were small take. But then you get this action sequence with his hey, what did What did Pulp Fiction teach us, Troy? What? I don't you know. You take the wallets from the customers as well. Oh, I think they were trying that until, yeah. you know, Harry read his fortune. Ooh, do you think Tarantino took it from this movie? I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I, I mean,
0: I love, I love the subtle way Harry cracks open the uh, fortune cookie. Yeah. It says you're shit out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> and then boom. <laughs> Which is the second time he says shit out of luck. I think. he
1: <laughs> And then Al Kwan, I mean, just out of nowhere, comes out with this fantastic little martial arts sequence in the street and it's great, and it's him doing. it. it's Evan Kim doing the whole thing, yeah. and the yeah. way the story I goes used is- more of that.
0: Yeah, to be honest with you. So at that at that point, I thought, and again, this is this is the the history of the character. I thought, okay, well, here is where Harry will say something off color about the <laughs> Asian gentleman, but he doesn't. He just goes. He just kind of looks. He's like. Ugh.
1: Well, no, he he goes. He makes that comment about yeah, it it is good to team up with an Asian American partner. I mean, he's he's giving him a compliment. So this
0: might. I wonder if this is the first film where Clint Eastwood uses the word "swell" because he he likes to use that word throughout the later part of his career. Where he'll just say "swell."
1: Yeah, he says it a lot in this movie. (laughs) Well, and let's talk about that harpoon gun. So I always thought was funny with the Dirty Harry franchise. It's about his gun, the forty-four Magnum, right? And then I think in the film before this, he upgrades to some bigger gun, more firepower. And I don't know if that's some kind well, of like American male it, psychology thing.
0: It, it is. If you think about the history of action movies and cop movies, remember, think like, think about throughout the history. And I know we don't have time to go through all this right now, but think about Death Wish 3 with the gigantic hand cannon. That oh, yeah, yeah, members. that's right. And think about that. There's all this one-upmanship uh, amongst these action guys in the '80s. And, you know, who can carry a bigger gun? And Stallone's got an M16, and you know, it's just everything has to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's such an American trope when you think about it, right? It's such a male ego American thing.
1: It is, and, the, and that's where I think this film is kind of smart and witty. And it's almost Didn't
2: Jesse the Body Ventura have the mini in for Predator. The Predator, yeah. yeah.
1: But I, I think that's what this movie's trying to. To do is it's kind of poking fun at all that because you have a (laughs) mini Nerf gun based on Predator. (laughs) Oh my God. Nice. Hey, if it
2: bleeds, it can die. That's right. Um, What's great about
0: those mini Nerf guns is when the darts fly, they go. You know, oh my gosh! It's great. They sound like bombs dropping out of the sky. And my wife, and my wife's running away down the hallway, and I'm like, "Yeah, take this.
1: <laughs> I'm not doing the dishes.
0: That's right. <laughs> I'm not taking a shower for three weeks." Oh, did I say it on the air. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, but I, I love that whole sequence. Like you said, it's a it's a fun payoff. But I I feel like that's where some of the wit comes in at the end, where he's like, "Well, if we're going to the biggest gun, I'm just going to grab a harpoon gun and <laughs> and shoot this yeah. guy with it." Uh, but I, I so they foreshadow
2: it. that right with the, with the, 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 movie shoot where they're on the pirate boat and they're shooting the part. It the is. So it's
1: a callback. Yeah. Well, there's so many callbacks, even, even at the end, the villain before, you know, when he has uh, Patricia Clarkson and he, he goes through kind of this little monologue that is a callback to a lot of the famous dirty Harry lines, because he's asking Harry, if he feels lucky and all this other stuff. So they're, they're very much trying to kind of bring it all together. And again, I think where this movie works the best is you get that sequence where he comes out of the shadows with the big harpoon gun. And you're like, okay, yeah, they're, they're making yeah. fun of what you were calling Sammy's like this one upsmanship about male ego. And it's like, well, dirty Harry started it all. So he's coming yeah. out with the biggest gun.
0: And there's I, one word to describe the whole thing. And it's punctuality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's the total, it's a total middle finger to all other action stars is what it is.
1: Yeah. And it, it,
0: I, it works. It works in a big way for me. Um, yeah, It's ridiculous, but I, it's, it's awesome. It, it, it's, it's great. Did you and guys, of course, he says you're shit out of luck again. I yeah.
1: Believe. But I mean, did, did you find the humor? I mean, again, I, I think the movie is best when it's doing that type of humor and it, and it's kind of subtle and it's integrated in, I mean, well,
0: I, I, I don't know. I think Brad's going to agree with me on this one, but I, I think the problem with the tone of the movie, I like the humor in the movie. I do. I just think the movie's all over the place.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yep
0: it's, it's kind of like those last few spaghetti noodles. You can't get off the plate when you're eating spaghetti, you know, you just, you're, you're struggling to get them off of there, (laughs) you know? So you just pick the plate up and you just kind of shovel it in the last
2: few few Oreo or the Cheerios and the milk. You're trying to like,
0: (laughs) yeah, you're trying to get, I think,
2: think, yeah, I think totally this movie is like so inconsistent. It's, 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 it's weird because I, I, I asked myself after it was over, like, was this movie supposed to be funny? (laughs) And I'm like, I I think it was going for that. Yeah. And I was like, was it supposed to be super violent? Yes. I mean, you can have super violent, funny things, but this one, it just fell off. Um, Is this one, Troy, I'll ask you, is this one like the most, like kind of goofy, like in a way, like the harpoon stuff is like, Oh, it is.
0: Okay.
1: I think that inconsistency. It's not even close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, th- I think the inconsistency in everything you're talking about. So, for me, the humor doesn't work when it's very intentional. So, like the gym scene where he's checking out some girl and, and Al Kwan <laughs> can't, you know, lift out, or, or the two guys getting the autograph, which I mean, you know, the nice oh, thing yeah. about high def television, that guy actually looked he like he's just repeat he pee himself. Yeah.
2: Well, it was wet. I don't know if he actually peed himself. but Yeah,
1: either way, it's, it's those sequences I don't think necessarily work in, uh, because they are going for this broad comedy. But the other comedy that's interlaced where you come out with the harpoon gun, that stuff works for me. So yeah. I, I, I kind of agree with you. Tonally, it's all over the place. But when this thing is doing its commentary, when it's doing the action sequences, I, I think it all fits. For me, it's the intentional comedic bits that throw it off but the slasher stuff and all it, it i think that stuff actually works in the whole grand scheme of things the only thing that always kind of takes me out of it are, are those sequences where, where we're, we're going to be intentionally funny right now
2: what's yeah. more all over the place the tone of this movie or liam neeson's accent
1: oh boy, <laughs> oh let's, boy. Let's, let's talk about the performances so okay. liam neeson um in a ponytail being sleazy I, I like my my favorite sequence of Liam Neeson. And here's why he's such a good actor. So he is trying to explain why people would want to kill him. And he goes on this little monologue about everybody being jealous over his talent as a director. Dude, he sells that scene. And I, I 100% believe he believes that.
2: Yeah. It, yes, because I'm assuming that all actors or all directors are like that. You kind of have to – be that way to be a director.
1: Yeah. And I, I, the performances are are, are across like Liam Neeson, Patricia Clarkson. I mean, Eastwood can do this role in his sleep, but the thing I does,
2: I feel like he might be phoning it in a little bit, um, to be honest with you. Um, and maybe that's my kind of knowing that this was, something he really didn't want to do with his studio was like, Hey, we'll make this other passion project for you if you do this one for us. So maybe that could be creeping in, but it it just seems a little sleepwalky, a little bit at times. And then other times he's really good.
1: Um, I think he's having fun with it. I I think he has good chemistry with Patricia Clarkson.
2: Yeah. I kind of bought their relationship. Yeah. Cause it, at first he was very hesitant And I bought into that because that's obvious, you know, she's a reporter. I think it's very irresponsible for him to be out in public with other people when there's obviously a hit out for him and he's just hanging out with people like they will be collateral damage. That is blood on your hands, Mr. Eastwood. But (laughs) I did. I I believe their relationship quite a bit.
0: Yeah, I I like them together. Uh, She was definitely more interesting when she was with him. Uh, I'll see. I'll give you that. She was. Not very interesting. Not even in a uh, driven uh, female, you know, driven female in a probably predominantly male workforce kind of way. She wasn't even interesting. But once she starts throwing the gauntlet down at Eastwood and kind of putting him on his toes a little bit, I kind of like. I kind of like that back and forth they had. Yeah, they're
1: exchange. And, and the other relationship I like is watching Eastwood with um, Evan Kim. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally didn't even think about this until I was sort of looking at action films coming out around this time period but if you think about it 1987 was huge for lethal weapon so you have a buddy cop film where they don't get along one of them does martial arts etc and and i think one of the tropes are you're going to put two cops together and work together so the first thing they're going to do is they're going to argue with the captain then as soon as they're done arguing with the captain they're going to argue with each other right and one of the things i kind of found refreshing is he has a lot of respect for Al Quan. Al Quan has a lot of respect for the Dirty Harry character. They get along great. They work very well together. And you get a little hint of lethal weapon with the martial arts and, and stuff like there at the time. But um, I, I really like their exchange. The only thing that got on my nerves a little bit is Al Quan has this same expression. So every time you know Harry would give his, I don't know, side comment or his, you know, shit out of luck thing. He, he Al Qua- or, uh, Evan Kim had this expression. It's like a duck lipped raised eyebrow thing that he's doing in the background. Like, Ooh, look, look at that. I can't believe he said that. And, uh, he did that one too many times, but outside of that, I, I thought Evan Kim was a lot of fun in this. I could have used more of him actually. I, I agree. I mean, I would have liked yep. to have seen a lot more of those. I, I would, I would watch another film with those two. And mm-hmm. I mean, not, not now, but back in <laughs> the Yes. Yeah um and jim carrey oh geez jim carrey i think you guys talked about this a little bit the lip-syncing to welcome to the jungle wow 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 it's (laughs) worth the price of admission
0: yeah it's crazy it's uh and obviously you see some of the stuff that he's going to go on to take into his comedic career happening there but at the time when i saw this i had known him from once bitten right the vampire film yeah yeah which I had seen in the movies at the theater. Of course I had, uh, you know, it was one of those ones I'd seen. And I remember thinking, well, this guy's pretty funny. And I'd seen him do some stand-up comedy on like the danger field hour on like Showtime or something or HBO or something. And I was like, he's a funny guy. Uh, I don't know why he's in this movie. I, I didn't know he was in the movie when I saw it in the theaters. But I was like, oh, this is weird. That one guy that does all the kind of rubber face and disjointed comedy. Oh, it's 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 on full
1: display during his death scene. I mean, talk about dramatic. He (laughs) Oh,
2: he's turning it up to eleven. Wow.
1: That's how did he not get an acting nomination for that? that, Holy.
0: That was James Carey. That was not Jim. Oh, Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. (laughs) That was the that at that moment he's like, I would like to be known as James Carey, please. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's acting. Um,
1: guns and roses, get a, get a nice unexpected cameo. Uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't know. The performances match everything that's in there. Uh, I, I think it works for the tone, except for the comedic stuff. But the, the other character I want to talk about just real quick, San Francisco, the, the thing, I mean, San Francisco to me is like one of the best, I don't know, cities to film in. I, I think yeah. I even like it outside of New, New York based filming but especially the the car chases and everything you know that they've always done in that city and again we've already talked about the rc car i I think they do a lot with the city and i love that sequence when they're jogging him and um al kwan and you see the golden gate bridge in the background so there's a lot of showing off of the city in this film and i think it works and and it the city kind of becomes its own little character in the background
0: yeah yeah they I did mention on our show this week, though, that uh, Clint Eastwood jogging those sweatpants—it's just not a good look.
2: <laughs> it's- you don't run in sweatpants. I'm sorry. Like oh, especially- I know this was the '80s, but
0: I mean, he was already wearing his pants up to his nipples anyway. But,
2: yeah. Your taint will be so <laughs> swampy in sweatpants, like it is.
0: You'll have. Sloppy. You'll have. Wait for it. You'll have dirty, hairy baggage. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> oh, my God,
1: <laughs> full circle. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well played, Sammy. Well played. Um, what else did did you guys have? Anything else you wanted to talk about on this one? Uh,
0: I, I I no, I really don't. I mean, I I think it's fun to take. I do like when we they take characters and throw them into different genres. And I and again, I don't love. I don't don't get me wrong. I don't hate this movie. I I think it's very entertaining. It helps that it's only ninety minutes. It helps that it's got an incredible. Inventive car chase in it uh, that is both you know ludicrous and amazing at the same time, which is not easy to pull off.
1: Oh, I, that's a the best way to describe it. I think you nailed it. Yeah, yeah.
0: and it's it, there's a lot of there's a lot of good here, but I just think for me the character he he means more than what he <laughs> he does here, and it, it's a weird kind of send off to a character that I enjoy. I don't agree with. Let me make sure I say that because nowadays, but I but I enjoy the character uh, the same way I enjoy Paul Kersey in the Death Wish films. I enjoy the fantasy elements of the character saying it's the judge judge thing. I, I love the idea of judge jury and executioner. You know, one person making that decision: what's right, what's wrong. We all know what's right and what's wrong, but life's a lot more complicated than that. And this movie complicates my judge jury and executioner theory. <laughs> <laughs> With making Harry, uh, you know, a little a little different, but I still think that all the, I think that all the ingredients in this soup work. I just don't think it tastes that great. <laughs> uh, that's that's a good analogy. I
1: mean, you guys kind of said it too. Jackie Chan, you know, tried to make a Dirty Harry film with the protector, or at least the director tried to do it, and he got upset, and made his own version with police stories. So there's there's no denying that this character in this franchise has you know, a ripple effect to, to all filmmakers across the world. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I really find this franchise fascinating. I find that character fascinating, especially looking back at the context of what was going on when each of these films came out. I mean, with you, I don't, I don't necessarily like consider hearing champion, this whole cops can break all the rules stuff. I mean, obviously we're seeing that play out in the real world today and yeah. dude, that that stuff's scary when you get into it. But the fantasy portion of it. And then also understanding the context of where these things came out. Um, I actually think it does provide a pretty good conversation piece to kind of go, yeah, you, you think it works out this way, but like, let's play this thing out. And do you, you really want this? Which was what judge dread in the comics and everything we we're trying to do with that 82,000. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, Brad, any other final thoughts before we get to the big question?
2: No, I, you know, it's got its problems, but I find it pretty entertaining. Um, And it's got a few things about it that are the most insane things you'll ever see. Like, that RC chase is so dumb, (laughs) but so awesome at the same time. And Jim Carrey's five minutes is great. Um, You know, a guy dies by being shot with a big harpoon. Like, it's, again, like, totally, it's all over the place. But it's entertaining and... for me, for a first watch and not having any kind of context, I've seen the other ones before, but it's been forever ago.
1: You can just sit down and watch this thing and you're totally fine. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, I I think what I find interesting, I mean, we've, we've done this show for like 46, I think this is the 46th episode. And if I were to go back over all the movies that we thought about that car chase sequence would definitely make like a top five moments of the 46 movies we've talked about. That's how good that thing is.
0: That car chase sequence is so good that if we covered this on our show, after five hundred and something episodes, it would probably be in the top (laughs) ten. Yeah. (laughs) Because it is so ridiculous. Uh, You know, on our show we call it, you know, so G G T M C because it's it it makes no plausible sense. And yet it makes all the sense in the world.
1: (laughs) And it's so but the way they pull it off, it's so believable too. Even though when you're sitting back, you're like, How is that guy driving? It is, still, it is yeah no i agree all right it's well, the kind
0: of scene it's the kind of scene sorry to cut you off yeah, but no, it's no. the kind of scene i don't know if any of you i don't know if you guys do this but i do this with some of my non-movie watching friends they'll come around and they'll be like hey you see anything cool lately and i'm like hey i'll tell you what i watched something recently that i'll check this out this will blow your mind and i'll just find that scene and show them that scene and they'll just be like holy hell, what, what what kind of stuff do you watch yeah
1: oh i agree <laughs> it, kind it of would scene. make a highlight reel of just action films it's so oh, certainly yeah all right, well, I think it's time for the question. So obviously the, po- uh, the podcast is called Not a Bomb. Sammy, I'm going to start with you. We have spent a lot of time talking about Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry, and specifically 1988's The Deadpool. So the big question to you, Sammy, is The Deadpool a bomb?
0: Uh, I'm kind of torn on this one a little bit. I, I want to say yeah, but I also want to say no. and I will lean more toward no because I think the movie is entertaining and I think the movie stands alone. I think me bringing the the baggage, I'm not going to say the other the, two words. The Dirty hairy baggage. <laughs> yeah. I think me bringing that to the movie is really an unfair kind of statement to bring to it. And talking with you guys, I, I think the movie stands alone. I don't know if it needs to be a Dirty hairy movie, but it's certainly a very fun Clint Eastwood movie. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I I'm, honestly, I can't wait to watch it again someday. But, you know, I'm not the kind of person that will immediately watch something again, unless it, is a game changer. Like it blew my mind, but right. this is definitely something that I will watch again soon. And it might be, which this is even weirder to say, cause I like the other four films more. It might be outside of the first one. It might be the most rewatchable. One. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. It, yeah. Because it has so many ludicrous moments in it that you're kind of just waiting for them. You're kind of like drooling, just waiting for this craziness to happen.
1: No, I agree. So you're, you're putting it into the, not a bomb category. Then, not a right? bomb. Not okay. a bomb. Awesome. Brad, you're up. What are your thoughts?
2: I would agree. I would put this in the not a bomb category. I, To be perfectly honest with you, when I was kind of looking at this movie and kind of getting my initial kind of research done, I was like, I'm going to hate this movie.
1: I, I thought you would. I it. I put a note here. I'm like, oh, Brad's going to hate this. <laughs>
2: and, you know, it's got a lot of stuff I don't really like. Um, but it's got a lot of things that are fun and it's entertaining. And again, there's a car chase with an RC car. So, um, again, we can't, I, let's just keep talking about that, <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's a fun movie. It's problematic, blah, blah, blah,
1: whatever. It's watch it as a movie and it'll be just fine. So it is not a bomb. Awesome. Well, I agree with you guys. I, I, I think it's an unusual film to come out in the 80s and even more unusual as a final entry in a Dirty Harry franchise. And we, I'm with you, Sammy. If I were going to watch two films, I'd watch the first one and probably this one as, yeah. as my go-to and then the others. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of typical film fans would take this as just another guy walking around, tearing up the city to catch bad guys. But there's something more here. Um, I don't know if the f- the commentary works all the time, but I like that the filmmakers tried to do something different. I think, I think Eastwood's having fun with this character. And like I said, I don't know if all of his commentary and wit and, and uh, what he's trying to say about violence or this franchise totally work 100 percent of the time. I think most of it does, but again, it's got this energy. It's got this craziness. It's got so many memorable scenes to it that it makes it a lot of fun to watch. And I agree with your comment. If you just, just called this like a cop in San Francisco and not dirty Harry, it would still work. So, um, yeah, it's definitely for me, not a bomb. And, and I enjoyed watching it as part of like a little marathon, watching all the dirty Harry films. I think it works great. And I, I also agree with you guys kind of stepping away and just watching, uh, this film on its own without any context of the others. It, it works as well. Um, I would say though, for anybody who's never seen a dirty Harry film, and you go and watch this one, if you go, wow, that's great. I'm going to watch the other four. Just keep in <laughs> mind, they're entirely different.
0: <laughs> to have a totally different sense of uh, disappointment, probably. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that was, uh, a, that, that was awesome. So,
1: um, Brad, before we kind of get on to next week's film, I, I think we had some email come our way, right?
2: Yeah. Um, and Sammy's will be able to uh, contribute to this one, too, because I know... He, this is something up his alley. Um, this comes from Ben. It says, hey, Bombers, during the glowing talk about Jackie Chan and Dragons Forever, you guys mentioned the Golden Harvest studio logo animation. This got me thinking, what are your favorite studio logo animations? Uh, thanks for the many hours of entertainment. And it's nice to hear Brad hate something again. <laughs> <Ben>. um, <clears throat> I think so. These are. <laughs>
1: Thanks, Ben. Uh, like, <laughs> thank you, Ben. That was awesome. That uh, uh,
2: title, title screen, like title screen stuff. Right, is kind of what he's saying. Like, mm. um, like we mentioned, Canon. Like, I remember the Canon one um, pretty. The one that I always go to is because it's Star Wars. It's the 20th Century Fox. Like that, you know, the the orchestra hitting the music, and then immediately into you know star wars you know like that's the one i always go that's one of my favorites you know i think ones that are just like in and out like you get like 10 to 15 seconds um like the blumhouse one is way too long
1: well all chinese films now have like 20 different production companies so you get to watch 20
0: different uh, a lot of American, a lot of american films are like that now too yeah
2: yeah i'm trying to think of What's the one with the star? Oh, Paramount. The Paramount one is pretty cool where the stars kind of go across the the lake there and then over the mountain. It was um, it was
1: cool what they did to Raiders of the Lost Ark, how that sort of transitions into the mountain too.
2: Yeah, yeah. I you know, I kind of like them more than I don't. Like the egregious ones are just the ones that are way too long. Like the Blumhouse one, I feel like stands out because it's like they literally tell a story and they're yeah. Their title
1: screen, it's like, like a no. Short,
0: it's like a short film.
2: Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I don't need that.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: when I when I heard that question, the, there were two that just popped to mind as ones that I always found entertaining. The first one I really liked, and I can't remember if it was for the 75th or 100th anniversary, but Universal for a while there when they were celebrating one of their, you know, centennial or whatnot – they had put that title sequence together that went back through all the universal titles. So you went to the plane going around the earth and you got to see like the seventies version to the eighties version to the current one. I, I really liked that to just see the evolution of what universal did with their title card. And I always found that super cool. I mean, that that was the first thing that popped into my mind was favorites. I like that one. Cause it was, it was kind of like a neat little visual um, history lesson for that studio. And then the other one, which probably sounds kind of goofy, but this is the other one I thought of. So I'm I'm a huge fan of Tom and Jerry. I I love the new movie. Okay, I I went and saw it. Had a but the old Tom and Jerry cartoons, the MGM logo would always start with the roaring lion, and for Tom and Jerry cartoons, it would be Tom in there like Row! and hissing yeah. and stuff like that, and always that it's stupid and it makes me laugh every freaking time I see that. I mean, I really laugh because seeing Tom replace a big lion and hissing is funny. So those are the two that came to mind. The the
2: MGM one is really iconic too. So
1: oh yeah, yeah. it is. But the Tom version of the MGM one is is more iconic. -er.
0: So there you go. Sure. (laughs) Nice iconic -er. I like that. Um I I there's way too many of these to mention. Two of them that that really that we've talked about on our show actually always meant something to us was the Orion logo. Remember this? Oh, yes, logo?
2: Orion. Yes. Dude, good was, one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that one was always because you always kind of knew you were in for something kind of cool with Orion. because yeah. They had a run there. And then, uh, obviously, the uh, another one that's uh, very close to my heart is the TriStar one, even though I don't know if there's a whole lot of... I think it's TriStar, right? The winged horse one? Yeah. Wasn't that the TriStar Entertainment? Yeah. I remember there being quite a bit of bad films with that too but that that studio just always it kind of meant something
2: yeah it was always nice to like like you said orion to know like what kind of film like canon's another one like you kind of know the film you're getting yeah. uh carol co is that right carol co yeah. that's kind of there too you know with yeah. the the C that they draw with the one line or whatever like yeah. it's always nice to kind of know oh i'm in for i'm in for some stuff here
0: so yeah and, and saying that i can say that you know as, as the kind of person who watches the kind of movies I watch and the kind of movies we cover, I mean, there's stuff like, um, the, uh, I'm drawing a blank now all of a sudden, but the, uh, the, the PM entertainment logo, uh, the Glickenhouse entertainment logo, there's a lot of these little, uh, B and Z grade studios that made movies. Uh, they're all, they're all out there. You can also, you can see all these things. There's actually a, there's a YouTube channel I think out there that has like almost all of them.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, yeah. and I still got to say the, the, the king of them all, though, is still Golden Harvest because even to the to this day, anytime my kids hear that music and see the Golden Harvest, I can see the excitement on their eyes because they know they're just getting some kind of crazy yeah. action. But that 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 is the one that I'm sort of like Pavlov's dog. I'll start drooling the minute I see Golden yeah. Harvest on there.
0: Oh, no, that's a that's a very important one. Toho is not too bad itself either. So
1: yeah, Toho is good, but man, Golden Harvest, I just I get goosebumps every time I see it.
0: so so golden harvest it's it's kind of like that pm entertainment one and that you know what you're getting ready to sit down for it's kind of like canon kind of like canon when canon would come across you're like okay this is going to be something absolutely ridiculous and i'm i'm in regardless of how bad this is going to (laughs) be i'm going to sit here and try to watch this (laughs) i agree
1: (laughs) okay brad well next week is your pick since i got to to pick the deadpool so um we are going on to episode 47. We're marching so close to that one-year anniversary. Now, we're just hundreds of episodes behind the Gentleman's Guide. Um, we're trying, we're trying to gain some ground, but I don't think we're ever going to do it. You guys will be at episode like five thousand something, and we'll still, you know, be at two hundred or whatever. But that's not how math works. Okay, no. cool. Um, okay. <laughs> hey, keep your math and science to yourself. All right. Okay. So, Brad, next week's show, what are we doing?
2: We are going to a galaxy far, far away. We are going to talk about 2018 Solo, a Star Wars story.
1: What?
0: Star Wars movies don't bomb. Oh. Oh, was that really? Was was that really 2018? 2018. I know. Um, Oh, my God. Is that only three years ago? (laughs) That's kind of shocking.
2: Yeah. So this is considered, this is the lowest grossing Star Wars film of all time. Um. Well, you know, adjusted and all that stuff. But uh, yeah,
0: it It changed the studios. Complete. Uh, It changed the game plan.
2: So you will, you will remember that this is a Star Wars sort of. I guess they're doing like anthology style films. Yeah, the one. Rogue One. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rogue One would be the first. This was the second, and after this, they killed the idea. So it Mm -hmm. is. A bomb because it literally killed a studio strategy on how to make movies. So, um,
1: <laughs> wow, I, I'm gonna be honest with you. So, we've tackled a lot of films uh, in, in a movie like Showgirls. I was kind of afraid to get into because I'd never seen it, didn't know what I was getting into. Um, even talking Dirty Harry in a time when the police are hitting uh, the newspapers for some really, <laughs> I'm glad you said,
2: talk. I'm glad you said newspapers. I'm so glad.
1: Yeah, so there you go. Um, did I just date myself with that kind of comment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You Anyways, That's I'm, a newspaper? Yeah. I'm uh <laughs> I'm actually kind of afraid to tackle this simply because of how crazy some Star Wars fans can get, to be quite honest.
0: Yeah. I <laughs> I'm going to say good luck to you guys.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll get things wrong because I've, you know.
0: Oh, if if even if you don't, you will. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, it's it's fine. I I love Star Wars. You know, I have a Star Wars tattoo, which opens up to a lot of people coming up and asking me what's your favorite Star Wars movie and trying to test your knowledge. And I've had to tell people like, look, buddy, you like Star Wars the way you like Star Wars. I like Star Wars the way I like Star Wars. Please leave me alone. Uh, I try to be as nice as I can. I guess I've I've opened myself up to it. I have a visible tattoo, so you know.
1: Well, I I, have I did it to myself. <laughs> I have a custom-made NeoPixel lightsaber.
2: You have a kick-ass lightsaber.
1: Yeah, that. I had designed and, and created for my birthday last year. So I am a huge Star Wars fan. So yeah, I, I think all three of us kind of fall in yeah, this camp.
0: Yeah, Troy's Troy's been to my house. I'm a pretty big Star Wars fan myself. Sammy is yeah, a I mean, huge Star Wars fan. We're,
2: <laughs> we're males that were born between a period of time of 1970 to
0: now. now. So, yeah. yeah. We're going to like Star yeah. Wars. Yeah, The impact of Star Wars is it's it's there. No Even if you try to run away from it, it's there. Oh yeah. So I, mean, it'll I, be literally, interesting.
2: I literally do not have to watch this movie this week to know it beat for beat.
1: I've watched solo five or six times. I saw it opening day. So anytime a Star Wars movie comes out, I take the day off. And solo. Yeah, same. Yep. Solo. I saw the midnight show. And then the next day went back and saw it three more times. So within that first 24-hour time frame, I had already seen it four times.
2: Yeah, usually opening weekend, wow. I am I am at least two times, mostly three times. Yeah. You know, having kids makes that a little bit different now, but yeah, yeah. it's usually like I'm seeing it multiple times the first weekend.
0: My son and I saw it when it came out, and uh, I won't be on that show, but I will say that I am one of the few people who probably enjoyed Solo.
1: It'll be interesting conversation, and you know what, Internet, go ahead bring your hate we're ready for it let's go we're we're going to throw down with you and I might uh,
0: revisit that since you guys are doing that i might revisit that i've only seen it the one time i'm 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 kind of keen for a revisit
1: i i will say this i'm i'm with you i had seen it so many times when it came out in the theaters i watched it a couple times when it came out uh, on home media i'm really fascinated to go back and watch it now especially since we've had the mandalorian we've had episode 9 all this other stuff Because I'm curious what I'm going to think about it now with more Star Wars films and TV shows have, you know, have been released and if it's going to change my opinion. Yep. Yep. So that'll be interesting. But yeah, I am a little worried about this because this is one of those. Surprisingly, it's not some of the controversial things that we've talked about in terms of, you know, politics or uh social issues it usually comes down to we get into you know something like star wars and all of a sudden we might get some hate mail i don't know it'll it'll be crazy but i'm ready for it i'm excited
2: yeah i'm excited too man this nice. is the only time we're going to get to talk well i guess Unless I mean, we're we do the
1: Star Wars Christmas special, we could talk about that.
2: Ooh, we, we could, yeah.
0: <laughs> they got those they got those Ewok movies on Disney Plus. Man. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, wow. And,
2: and the Disney Plus has got the four I mean, I've got the 4K, but you know, that's a good 4K transfer. So
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you want to send us feedback on how much you love Star Wars or don't like Star Wars or your thoughts on the Deadpool, Brad, how do they get a hold of us?
2: That is notabombpod at gmail.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram facebook find us there what else we are doing a newsletter that we are currently putting together so if you want to sign up for that go to notabombpodcast.com slash newsletter you can sign up for that um sammy
1: why don't you uh whoa yeah, tell us about the gentleman's guide. So yeah, the sorry the you premiered on podcast me there. Yeah. Out there. My
0: phone, my phone. I so, so for those who don't know behind the scenes, I have to use like 16 different setups just to get a camera working to talk <laughs> to you guys. So I'm going out of my way here. I actually got an iPad over here for a backup because my phone's getting ready to die. Oh wow. Uh, you can find us at the the GGTMC.blogspot.com. We're actually taking donations right now to keep the show running. Please uh, donate if you can. Every little bit helps. You can find us just about everywhere. Uh, we're on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. You can look for me there. Uh, just type in GGTMC and you'll find, you'll find me somehow, some way.
1: And you guys did a, so I'm caught up, but I got to say, I really enjoyed the last episode you did, which was the clones of Bruce Lee as well as they call me Bruce. And it made yeah. me go back and just tell my son, I'm like, we're going to watch they call me Bruce and pull that DVD out here this weekend. Cause, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in years and and you just listening to you guys talk about sort of some Bruce Lee or Bruce exploitation films. Um so Bruce lie, Bruce lie is my favorite. So, yeah,
0: you know, I mean, I guess if any of your listeners don't listen to our show, I guess the best way I, I've often described our show in a cheeky way, but honestly it's, it's like a, it's, I, I'm not a film historian, but we're kind of like a film historian type show. Uh, we try to cover everything and that gives us a large catalog to pick from. Um, but Todd and I, uh, we love movies and will as well. And, and we, you know, Bruce Poytation is just another chapter in this wonderful, wacky world of cinema that uh, that we we just had to approach it somehow, some way. And it won't be the last time we love Bruce Poitation movies. I know, Troy, we need to do more Jackie Chan. We're working on it. But I,
1: yes, definitely. But that's but, that's my only you talk criticism. about a
0: roadmap that's completely full. man. my roadmap has been full for God. I don't know how long, and I'm trying I mean, to get listener selections done right now, and it's next to impossible to get them in.
2: <laughs> and you guys have over 500 episodes, correct?
0: Yes. There's 537 yeah, okay. regular episodes, and there's probably another 100 and something bonus episodes of the show.
1: I, I will say this. I Just growing up with my father and him introducing to me uh, all these different films, classic genres, etc. I feel like your podcast just picked up what he was trying to do and expose me to to more films. And and just, you know, when we were talking about at the beginning that whole Italian subgenre of dirty hairy films on steroids, the Polizia, I, I never knew anything about those. And you you and Will specifically going through that and, and Todd does a good job too. You guys are just walking encyclopedias of film knowledge and you're so much fun to listen to. You can tell you, you love talking about movies and the amount of, I don't know, just knowledge you can drop within a couple of hours. It's just astounding. I mean, and, and personally me doing this, I always feel a little intimidated when you're on the show because I, I'm like, we we got to match what Sammy brings to the table, but um, you are just uh, you and Todd and, and will have created just this brand. And I yep. almost feel like this like university of film knowledge and, and, I appreciate everything you guys do because I know it's a lot of hard work to put that thing out.
0: No, that's 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 very kind of you say. No,
2: I, and you've always been super kind to our podcast. I know you've yeah. you've mentioned us quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Time makes m- fun of you for it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: you got mentioned again this week. Yeah, as yeah, matter yeah. Fact, yeah. Oh, nice. So hopefully, right. it'll bring some more listeners to your show because I I told people that I would be coming over here to talk about the Deadpool. So we'll see. No, it's great. Like I said, we, we are just
1: appreciative of everybody who downloads and and interacts with us. And Ben, thank you for the email this week. That was, that was a great question. I I didn't even think about it, but what was cool is, uh, as soon as we started talking about uh, logos, I'm like, man, I, I knew immediately where you're going with it. And, and please, if you want us to review any bombs, um, send us an email, drop us something on Instagram, Facebook, um, tell us which about, you know, the movies that, that we're reviewing, tell us your opinion. We're, we're always ready to share that, but, um, I don't know if you're listening to this in the morning, the afternoon, or evening, I hope you're having an awesome day. And with that, we will catch you next week. Thank you. Have a nice day. (laughs) 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 Oh,
2: did you notice that there's still time left after the podcast is over? What? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well yes if you've noticed that this episode's longer but we started playing the music it's because we have what would you call this a post credit sequence yes so we're following the whole marvel thing and and all which this.
2: ironically the movie we're talking about does not have a post credit sequence but yeah and,
1: and and what's even weirder is we're going to talk about a film that so far is not really a bomb uh, so we thought it would be fun because all three of us over the weekend happened to catch, uh, the rebirth of a franchise that I think we're all fans of both on the video game format and even some of the older films. But we were going to talk about this year's mortal Kombat uh, from 2021 released by Warner brothers. And again, it's interesting because this is something that was released in the theaters and then was also released on the HBO uh, streaming platform. Uh, I don't know how you guys watched it, but I've seen it twice. I was given a link to actually see an advanced screening on Thursday night and then also see it with um, Shannon Lee hosting sort of a Q&A afterwards, which was super interesting. And then I turned around and went Sunday to go and watch it at an AMC to experience the film in Dolby Atmos which was kind of cool.
2: Yeah, so did they say anything cool at the Q&A, just out of curiosity, or was it just,
0: you know? It, it was your part-
1: typical, uh, really just kind of talking about the making of it. Where where did they come in, uh, in terms of experience with the franchise? Um, a lot of people were making references to Bruce Lee, obviously, because Shannon Lee was there. Yes. And so, you know, I would say for about, it was, it was approximately 45 minutes, and the first 20, 25 minutes were really dealing with the the franchise itself, the characters, the behind the scenes stuff, and then the last fifteen to twenty minutes uh, specifically went into Asian representation in film and talking about um, you know just Hollywood in general. So it, it was extremely informative because I think uh, I, and I always have to remind myself of this, and I think you you guys are the same way. Mortal Kombat for me. Is not a big deal in terms of sitting down and watching like people getting kicked in the face, et cetera. But it's also not a big deal in just watching Asian cinema in general because it's just part of my daily digest, right? I'm I'm always watching something from around the world. And I always have to remind myself that's not the case for most moviegoers. So when people start talking about Mortal Kombat or even Shang-Chi that's coming out later this year, and they're talking about the significance of, Asian actors in American films. In my head I'm like, "Well, this is kind of silly. Do you guys just not pay attention to the stuff that's coming out right now? Or heck, just go back to the last, you know, 50 years and look at all the amazing films. And and not just like the Jackie Chan stuff, but the comedies, the dramas, everything else." And and I've always got to reset and go dude, this is kind of a big deal for uh, Hollywood cinema because most moviegoers aren't reading subtitles and have probably not seen 90% of the stuff that I've been exposed to growing up. And I know you guys are the same way, but it it was interesting to hear their take on it, so.
2: Gotcha, gotcha. And um, so where do we all land on the video game? I, I have to say they rebooted it, what, in like, oh, a few years ago. And the last, like, three have been some of my favorite fighting games of all time. Uh, this l- most recent one has been really good. And I I, I got to say, like, as a fighting game, like, Street Fighter has always been my favorite, but Mortal Kombat has always been a close second. Um, and I, I am somewhat invested in the story, which is weird. Um, and I, And I will say, I think, like, the Scorpion character might be one of the best video game characters of all time. So, um,
1: challenge. Yeah, that's, it, it, okay. You're not talking about I, Johnny cage. So I know that yeah. that statement's incorrect, yeah. but go ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got to say. Well, I mean, uh, we all, so for those who don't know, all three of us, uh, like the video games. Yeah. Uh, so we, that's the word movies are just the only thing, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not a fighting game guy, so but I I watched a, hours upon hours of uh, Mortal Kombat. My brother is a big time fighting guy, uh, fighting game guy. So I know way more than the average person does about Mortal Kombat.
1: <laughs> I like I like playing the fighting games. I'm terrible at them, but I know like Tabitha and I will always play against each other. And you want to talk about some just smack talk. And, and she she's the person that does that one stupid same move over and sweep, over again. She, she does, sweep does the, the leg, leg the sweep. <laughs> but it's funny because we've, we've done Street Fighter. Street Fighter is actually when we were living together right before we got married. Street Fighter was <gasps> how we would. Living in sin? We lived in sin. But oh, if it Troy. ever came down to an <laughs> argument on like, well, it's your turn to do X, Y, and Z. And we ever started fighting, the Street Fighter would come out. And that's how we settled stuff. But Gotcha. That's uh, yeah, I'm terrible at them, just terrible. And Tabitha's a button masher; like she doesn't. I'm sitting there trying to learn the combos and moves, and Tabitha's just putting, you know, just bam, 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 and she beats me all the time, and I hate it. I'm surprised we're not divorced over some of the fighting games we played, but we made it. That's that's why we're gonna make it. Sweep the leg, Johnny. <laughs>
2: okay, so yes, where do we want to begin
1: with this movie? It's not a deep movie to talk about, I don't think. I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I the, think it.
2: So, the first thing I want to talk about is the movie's called Mortal Kombat. Uh, Mortal Kombat is this is a tournament that uh, if one realm wins 10 tournaments in a row, they get to invade the other realm. Uh, to be fair, there is no Mortal combating in this movie, there is no, no tournament. No. Um, that so,. Might- that might be my least favorite thing about this movie.
0: So I'll I'll jump in here a little bit and talk. And hopefully that there's not an echo, is there? Is there an no, echo on your side? You're good. You're good. You're, no, you're good. There's a little bit of sound coming out of that iPad there. So I'm trying to mute it, but that's why you see the camera moving around, not because I want to show you the mess that is my storage area and possibly <laughs> some some skin. Um the first five or ten minutes of this thing, I was like, All right, man, they got this right finally. I'm in. We got some mythology going here. We got some violence. We got, you know, clearly a young child. Some of the stuff's going to come back around. They're building their mythos up. Everything's looking good. And then they introduce the lead character. Yeah. And uh, a new guy.
1: He's not He's not part of the video game franchise. He was yeah. made specifically just for this film.
0: And I, I, Cole, I, don't, I don't...
2: Cole, I believe, is his name. Yeah,
0: yeah I don't want to say anything terrible because i'm not an actor okay i'm not a martial artist and i'm not any of those things so i know this is a big burden to be put in front of the camera and be the lead but he is for me incredibly or was incredibly uninteresting Uh, he eventually gets a little interesting but oh for a while he was like I, i just i was grinding my teeth I don't and, think and the he way ever they introduce interesting.
1: I, I actually think he's the worst thing about it. Yeah. So there, there you go. I'm glad I'm not the only one.
0: Um, yeah, he's
2: he's not great. I, I, I think- underst I understand why they did it, right? Yes. Like you yeah. have to have that vessel for the audience mm-hmm. because Liu Kang has always been sort of the
0: He's a vessel, all right.
2: Yeah. And so you, you don't want your favorite character to kind of uh, <laughs> You don't want your favorite character to, I don't know, you know, like with Liu Kang, he's always the winner. Like in the first one, it was Liu Kang winning this time. It's like, okay, we're going to take out the possibility that one of your favorite characters doesn't win. So we're going to have this other guy possibly be the, the, the winner for earth realm or whatever. So I understand why they did it. Uh the I, guy I could be a little bit better. I
1: don't understand why they and the reason why I don't understand is because of the things that they've done with this franchise, the animated film that they did in 2020 is, is the best thing they've done with this Scorpion's Revenge or whatever? Yeah, so it's Mortal Kombat, Scorpion's Revenge. It's it's an R-rated animated film. And to Sammy's point, the first five to seven minutes of this film are very much in line with that animated film. And I thought, oh, cool, Scorpion. This is going to be about Scorpion because they kind of build within that mythos this tragic character, and it's about him coming back and et cetera. But to your point, Sammy, you start with probably one of the most, well, the second most interesting character behind Johnny <laughs> Cage. And you start the film there, and you go, wow, that's that's crazy. Where's this going to go? Oh, let's show this let's show paint dry for a little bit and then this guy that you started with that you were so interested in going wow look what I have this family and stuff like that well after the paint has dried and you've watched that then they bring scorpion back so basically you get about 20 minutes of scorpion in a 110 minute film that is my only complaint well i have two complaints one is the paint drying guy he's a walking paint dry. It's just, it's incredible. I mean, if there's an award for the most uninteresting and mimics paint drying award, that guy gets it. The other thing is that the choreography, the, the (laughs) editing. So the choreography is, is okay. It's not the highlight of, the film the finishing moves are obviously but there, Which, there are some fun little sequences in there but this close to medium shot quick edit that shit's got to go
2: it, yeah it, it for for your movie to be called mortal combat and your camera is too close and the cuts are too fast is a little bit disappointing they do sort of kind of make up for it because they do have some pretty cool fatalities yes. but um, some of the fights are a little bit lukewarm. I'm a little bit They're lukewarm confusing. on some of the, fu- yeah, They're yeah,
1: confusing, but the yep. the visuals are great. I mean, I, I love there's sequences where Sub-Zero picks up the ice in the air and then like slams it down. There's so many things in this film that visually look really cool. Uh, Kung Lao's, uh, introduction just coming out from, it's, it's amazing, there's so many things I like about it, but the there's two big things where I'm like, I can't call this like a, an amazing film. I had fun with it. I've seen it twice. I liked it, but there's two things that really kind of knock it down big time, which is your, your scorpion character. You, you should have stuck with that. Right. Or yeah, you should be in
2: the movie more often more.
1: Yeah. And, and not the, the paint drying guy. And then also Cole <laughs> paint drying guy. And, um, <laughs> You, you, you've got to, I mean, it's 2021 for freaking sake. you've got so many good action choreographers and cinematographers who can do that stuff, bring them onto the set and let, give them the camera and just go, you shoot this, not that guy, but he was a first time director too. So I get that as well. Which is
2: weird to give a guy $55 billion and say, direct this
1: movie for the first time. And the fight choreographer (laughs) they used is, is kind of a nobody too.
0: So, yeah, I didn't even look that far into it. So I didn't even know who did the fight choreography. But I totally agree with you guys. I mean, the fight, I mean, I'm not the fight movie fan that probably Troy is, but certainly it it means a lot to me. And the fighting in this, look, if I start to look at my phone when characters are fighting, there's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And there were moments when the battles were taking place where I was starting to get bored because there's nothing really unique going it's this person does this this person does that oh it's time for this person's move and when we get close to the fatality which you could tell by the sounds they were making um, I would look up and catch the fatality um, which is cool but I gotta say and I know this is a, a nitpick it's the nitpicks of most nitpicks also by the way Goro was cool oh uh, yeah. yeah yeah I like I like that CGI goro that was pretty that was pretty awesome. It's way better
2: than the uh, 97 puppet they had.
0: (laughs) True. It was an upgrade. Yeah, I do. It is an upgrade. I have a soft spot for that puppet. It's ridiculous. But, you know, anyway, Um, the the amount of cussing in this movie is on a level of. Like Eddie Murphy and his friends improvising sometimes, (laughs) and it's 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 kind of just. Awkward at times. And I'm not I'm not I'm not saying it as a fuddy duddy. I'm saying it as I mean, (laughs) does there need to
2: be that much casting? The the Kano character definitely is a little bit much. Josh I I, lost I found yeah, I found him funny at first and then he kind of wears on you, which I think might be kind of the point because he's maybe a good guy, and then you know, he wears on you like, God, I hate this guy. Then he turns out to be a bad guy. So maybe that's what they're going for. But Yeah. yeah, I get it.
0: He's got a couple of the best lines in the movie, though. I mean, yeah, but he, he, there's too much of him. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, there's more Kano than Scorpion.
0: Yes, that's a problem. Yeah. There's more of that guy that wears the breathing mask that Kano put in that mask and talks like he's from New Jersey. Come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, Kano, what you doing there, Kano? <laughs> I,
1: yeah, I, I don't I don't mind Joss Lawson. I, I do think he gets to a point where you're like, okay, somebody really probably needs to kill this guy at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um I, the acting's okay. I again I was a little disappointed that Joe Taslim, who plays Sub-Zero, doesn't get more to do cuz that guy is not just a good martial artist, but I think he's a really good actor. And if anybody wants to check him out, go to Netflix and it's um The Night Comes for Us is a, an amazing film. It's brutal, oh, amazing. Yes. so good. Uh I I didn't mind um the girl who played Sonya, Jessica McNamee. She's good. Uh, Josh, um, Lawson, who's Kano's good. I really liked, um, and I can't remember his name. I think it's, oh, uh, Max Swang plays Kung Lao. I think yeah. he's a lot of fun. Ludi Lin as Lou Kane. I, he's okay. I, he's, uh, he, he's a he's step a above the, the paint drying guy yeah he's he's not you know, much better
2: it's weird that they like kind of put K- luke kang on like the
1: back burner a little bit like lu kang is i'm okay that like, guy can't act so I, put him on the back and his martial arts wasn't that great either i, I don't know man he looked good without a shirt off
0: yeah anyway they made sure to give him those shots yes
1: yeah, yeah he's um, very bumpy on his arms I'll, but that's, yeah, I, mean, yeah. bumpy.
0: I, fe- I felt it's weird though i felt like he was a bit sinewy like uh, he was he's almost like a He's almost like you know the last turkey left at Thanksgiving or something
2: he's like an, he's like an he's like an emo emo lu kang
0: yes that's mine my, my children's book that's coming out later this year please purchase it <laughs> <laughs>
2: nice i and I will say i think so I think the story can go in a cool some cool places because they've got the characters set up yeah so in the lore of <laughs> Mortal Kombat, so yeah. B so Sub Zero is killed by Scorpion, who Sub Zero, the original Sub Zero, will then turn into a character called Noob Cybot, which is yeah. So whatever, and Sub Zero's brother comes in and like becomes the new Sub Zero.
0: Um, Noob Cybot isn't that Tobias Boone's name backwards?
2: Um, yeah, yes, who's yes. a
0: designer of the Mortal Kombat game, so
2: yeah, so Ed Boone and John Tobias were the the co creators of Mortal Kombat. Yeah, um,
0: Tobias Boone, yeah, yeah, Doob-Say-Bot. new Noob Sabot,
2: yeah, so, um, <laughs> you know, they and so they've already introduced a lot of the characters, so maybe the next movie, which there's going to be a next movie because this movie is done very well in the environment that we have, uh, um, 50,
0: 55 million dollars, is that what you guys said?
2: Yeah, yeah, on
1: a fifty-five million dollar budget, so Sorry it's already made back five, I think, million over the weekend.
0: Yeah, uh, and you know, that's pretty good. I watched it in four K in my house. I'm just going to be honest with you, because yeah,
2: yeah, oh, I yeah. I, I had some time on on between meetings on Friday, and I was like, I'm just going to sit here and watch this movie. Um, you know, you know, so they've already got that established. So the next one could be like, oh, it's just, this is the fighting tournament movie. And this is what, you know, all this stuff is leading up to. I do have a lot of gripes with this Mortal Kombat movie, but I did really enjoy my time. Like it could have been better, but it could have been a lot worse. And I enjoyed quite a bit of it. I do think that second act where, Cole is trying to like train up to find his little special ability is a little bit much and it goes on way too long. But, um, you know, I, I, definitely think the biggest mistake of this movie is a character like Kano is in the movie longer than Scorpion, which is a problem. So, um, cause Scorpion is an interesting character. Oh, and Troy,
1: there's no Johnny cage. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's problem number one right there. No Johnny Cage.
0: So, so they
2: do have to introduce Johnny Cage next, next, which, you know,
0: I don't know. I I I, I, I had, I mean, I know there's Mortal Kombat lore and I get it. The other world and this world and the out world and the other realm. Yeah. All these things. I get it. But when one of your characters breaks out a cell phone in a fantasy environment, there's something wrong. <laughs> I, I think at one point, didn't uh, the uh, paint dry guy, I think it's what we're calling him now. I think doesn't he uh, gives us He's himself looking at pictures looking. of his
1: uh yeah, and the first thing I'm like, well, d- dude, where did you find a cord where you could charge? Because you're in like a rock cave.
2: He got the coronavirus
1: shot and he's a five he's just a walking 5G now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, it, I I may sound like I'm trashing this film. I'm with you, Brad. I, I had fun with it. I had fun with it, but this is one of those films I don't know if I would have fun watching it by myself because even when we were watching in the theater, it was, it was cool to hear everybody's reaction to some of the shots, especially the video and the comedy in this actually kind of works. So you know, I, I was just <laughs> that whole sequence where Kano is getting uh, the leg sweep over and over again. I was laughing hysterically. Yeah, and Cause that's
2: Tabitha fighting I, I Turn you.
1: over and Tabitha's laughing hysterically and she's pointing <laughs> at herself and she's like, that's me. And I'm like, yeah, I know that's you, and it yeah. pisses me off, but they, <laughs> How they do the little, you know, uh, flawless victory, and they take some of the the I don't know the catchphrases from the video game and incorporate them into the movie. It's really cool, and it's very crowd pleasing when it happens. And I got to tell you, it's been a while since I've been in a film uh, when everybody gets all pumped up at a particular sequence, and that last sequence when they're fighting within a frozen gym, I actually think works really well. So that is probably the best action sequence because they get the camera to come out maybe just a couple of feet. So you can sort of see what's going on. But what's really cool is they're using the environment. So when people kind of get kicked and hit a wall and you see the ice shatter, it's a really cool effect. And even some of the things that Sub-Zero and Scorpion are doing to each other, but man, when that chain comes out and hits his arm and then all of a sudden Scorpion shows up after, you know, being sidelined for much of the film, um, everybody in my house got excited when we watched it. And then in the theater, you know, we're only about, I want to say 50% capacity. So for a Sunday afternoon, it was pretty much sold out, but everybody in the auditorium just went crazy when that happened. So it was fun to see just sort of that popcorn flick and everybody interact with it. So, but it, it's not, I'll say this, watching it a second time, it's a slog to get through some of the things until the action happens. I
0: mean, it really is poorly written. I think it, I think it suffers from, for me, what a lot of modern movies suffer from and that's really good bookends Oh, yeah. Every Everything in the middle being, uh, for lack of a better word, a mess. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm, you're yeah.
2: right. The first 10 minutes of this movie are awesome, and the last 20 minutes are amazing. And the stuff in the middle is okay at best sometimes, yeah. and then it could be flat out bad at other times.
0: I liked um, it when I revisit it. Only if you and Brad, are, or only if Troy and Brad are in my house, and we want to watch Mortal yeah. Kombat. That's the only way I revisit this thing.
2: I've I've kind of had it on in the background every once in a while just to kind of you know, just to have it on. Cause I again I like those characters and I think they do a good job, a way better job than those 90s movies of treating the characters with a little bit more respect as a like when it comes to like terms of the video games. But um, you know, they have not a, not Christopher Lambert that plays Raiden like I love that casting because it's insane it's like the RC car in Dirty Harry or in uh, the Deadpool but you know it's it's better in this movie and uh I you know I think this is a great stepping stone um it's obvious that they had three or four or five films kind of planned out and you know, they're lucky that this one kind of did well and is pretty well received. So we'll get to see the next one. Um, If, you know, if, if something were to happen and this thing, didn't do well, it would have felt a little bit um, shortchanged. Like I, I would have felt cheated. um, If this, if I knew this was the only film that we were ever going to get in this series, because this is obviously just the first act of a, of a grander scheme.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I'm I'm ready for the next one. I'm glad it's doing well. I'll say this: it, I don't, I don't think it's a horrible film. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, like Sammy said, I would love to revisit it with, you know, a crowd because I've seen it in, in two instances with people. Like I said, I can't see myself watching it by myself unless it's a on a. It's one of those Saturday afternoon films that you know you're going to kind of take a nap to. And so you'll watch the beginning of it and you'll sleep during the middle and then you'll be awake for, you know, the end. Yeah, that'd be that'd be kind of a perfect Saturday afternoon film. But I, yeah. I, I have to say this. If you haven't seen the 2020 animated film that they did last year, go watch that. If if you really liked this film, you got to check out the, the animated one. And I, I get I've read some reviews on this and I, I totally get where people go. Don't like it because of X, Y and Z. Cool. I mean, at the end of the day. The good stuff has to for you outweigh the bad stuff because there is bad stuff in here. It, some of it just doesn't work. But for me, I really got a kick out of the visuals and some of the things they did. And I like some of the actors. I didn't I didn't like the the
0: paint guy. Um <laughs> but I can we get a, yeah, can we, I, can anybody know his name? Is it Lewis Tan? Is that his name? What's his name? Tan something. something. Yeah. yeah. Tan paint loose paint tan
2: <laughs> loose paint tan uh yeah um i i think out of the three of us i think i probably like it way more than the both of you it sounds like i i kind of really liked it um
0: loose tan yes Louis and it
2: Louis. was one of those things that i had for some reason because movies like this have been so few and far between in 2020 and 2021 that i was really hyped for it and had high expectations again for a mortal combat movie i don't know what i'm doing with my life that i'm this excited for a mortal combat movie but it it kind of hit all the things that i wanted it to do um you know it 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 definitely falters along the way but i got everything i kind of wanted out of it
0: yeah i no I, I i can see that i i didn't get anything special out of it but i i got what i wanted out of it which was I was entertained for an hour and whatever. I mean, again, I I probably wouldn't watch it again unless somebody asked me to watch it again. But
1: yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I'll say this: I'm probably more excited for. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say this with maybe an asterisk or reservation. I am excited for um, Shang Chi because of who's doing the fight choreography. I mean, our good friend Brad Allen from Jack Chan Stunt Team, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. They've got a lot of good people working on it behind the scenes. However, there are even aspects of that trailer when I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm not totally sold on it yet and especially some of the comedic elements that they kind of shove in there with um, what's her name, the Aquafina? Aquafina, uh, yes. Is it Aquafina, Aquanet? I don't know. Yeah, um, Aquafina. Is it Aquafina? Okay. So... <laughs> I that I'm not a huge fan of her comedy and I'm, yeah. and I'm not saying that the movie's going to be terrible because of that. It's just when I, when I see that Shang-Chi trailer, I'm like, Oh, there, there's some cool sequences in there. Visually it looks interesting, not on board for the comedy, but with mortal Kombat, the trailer I thought was actually going to promise um, some better martial arts. And I, and it just didn't deliver that for me. But again, You know my diet is a pretty steady um, face-kicking diet where I'm watching you know martial arts films from all over the place. I'm I'm really excited about the Donnie Yen film coming out this summer. Of course you are. That's that's my number one. But uh, no, I I'm I'm with you, bro. I'm glad you liked it. Like I said, I don't hate it. I I had a lot of fun with it. But I
0: I I probably liked it the least of the three of us. Probably. I would say I probably did.
1: But I
2: think if you have HBO Max, and you're okay with some pretty gory stuff that happens to people then i think you should watch it like it's it's oh yeah especially if you're if you're around our age or my age and
1: if you like action films it go watch it it's yeah it's a good action film i mean it's better than half the stuff that's out there honestly so Mm. all right cool well hey there's our little hot take on mortal Kombat from 2021 we it's not bombing it's doing quite well i think i don't know how the <laughs> critics did it did it hit a rotten tomato score yet or
2: oh you know what i didn't even look
1: i think because um, i've seen a lot of good reviews on it but i've also seen a lot of reviews kind of tear it up i so think it's, it's, it's very
2: mixed yeah. um but it's a mortal Kombat movie i, I assumed that it was going to be but you know some people have been like oh it's the best video game movie of all 54 percent. so oh okay but that's pretty uh, good for a, a video game movie so yeah, yeah we'll you, see We'll one out happens.
0: of every one of you know one out of every two people <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> you know, that's about right that's fair
0: that sounds about right I mean I, I, I don't think I expected too much from it so and, you know again that, thats uh, that's that's it seems like a backhanded compliment but it's not I mean it's it is I think the casting could have been better but I'm listening to you guys I didn't know anything about the budget I didn't read anything about the movie whatsoever it was purely just a watch for me so uh, I think some of the folks in it are good. As we mentioned, Sub-Zero, the gentleman plays Scorpion. I can't ever remember his name. Sonata. Yeah. Yep. And I like some of the other folks, but I think it needed one more star. Johnny Cage. It needed, well, it needed somebody. It needed somebody <laughs> to play Johnny Cage. Who would it be?
2: Lyndon Ashby. Bring him back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> some people, so I've been looking. Some people are saying there's a wrestler called The Miz, and people are calling for him to be... Yeah. Uh, Johnny cage. And I looked at him and it's actually pretty I spot could see on that.
1: I really could, but he's, isn't he doing a reality TV show now or
0: something?
2: Yeah. Oh, I, ask me anything about wrestling.
0: Yeah. Okay. He is doing a reality TV show and he would be good. He's, he's pretty much a, uh, a ham. He'd be pretty, I think he'd be pretty comfortable as that character. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for more. Like I said, I, I'm,
1: I don't know about you guys. I'm kind of, uh, I, I, I only had mortal Kombat on DVD, so since the movie was coming out, people were selling you know the the Blu-rays pretty cheap, and I went ahead and picked up the first one and Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So I'm excited to go visit the sequel because I remember seeing it in the theater and it was terrible, and I'm really excited. <laughs> to that
2: read movie it. is like. Literally should be like the porn parody of Mortal Kombat. Like it is like
1: so porn adjacent that Man. it's like it's so close. Now now I'm, And now I'm really excited because I think I've blocked all memories of that out except for some wrestling in the mud sequence that I barely remember in it. But now I'm, I'm super excited about Annihilation. Nice. Nice. All right, well, I guess that's it for the uh, bonus super extended post-credit sequence episode. So we'll be back next week when we're talking Star Wars. We'll see you then.
2: Yeah, we're really done now. Yeah, yeah. Go seriously,
1: home. we're really, really done. Yeah, go. Goodbye, yes. We are Go done.
0: home. Go. Dirty, dirty hairy baggage.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just got to get
0: that in. <laughs>